squeeze it there. Broadhurst down, Bound still pumping punches into it. That's a big Oh, it is a miracle. The play continues. They could sidestep on a trip and win this line. Good one. A smack their bottoms. 40 20. It's a 40-20, it's there. Hits the crossbar. You won't see anything like that again this year, and maybe never. Digging up dead football, it's the Rugby League Cemetery. It does not get any better than that. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery, and it's very good to have you with us. And uh, I have to say, I, I know I say this almost every episode, but this is a very special Rugby League Cemetery today. We are going back to the 22nd of August, 1998, almost 24 years to the day, my very good friends, we're going back to Marathon Stadium and you think, oh, yeah, go on, lads, another game about the Knights. Not so, because today we're going back to Marathon Stadium to cover Newcastle 34, Adelaide 20, the very last game ever played by a club very close to our hearts, and I dare say if you're listening to this, very close to your heart too, the Adelaide Rams. Uh, This match... As I say, the last game that they ever played in the NRL, they didn't know that at the time, but uh, it turned out to be so. And we're going to talk a lot about Rams history today, about how the Rams came about, about what they managed to achieve, and I suppose about the legacy that they left, which lives with us always. And if you were one of the people who got on the Facebook page earlier today and, and gave us your memories of the Rams, thank you very much. I think, I think we're going to cover pretty much all of them over the course of the next little while. Gazzy, thank you for joining us. Uh, can you can I begin by saying, when you think of the Adelaide Rams, what do you think of, first of all? Oh, I well, think of Chubby Checker <laughs> immediately. <laughs> um, Chub, Chubby Checker in full kit, really mm. in, in absolutely no nick, like at mm. all, in full kit. Uh, full kit never looks any good on people who don't play rugby league. Like people who are not in good shape <laughs> don't look good in full kit as a rule. Um, and yeah, and particularly those Super League jerseys were known for being really big. And he manages to paunch you out of it fairly heavily anyway. Um, so I think Chubby Checker won. And secondly, is a bit more niche, if you'll, if you'll bear with me, is I, the I image will. of, of um, the musician uh, and the, the bloke in all this place, John English, uh, holding up the, the Rams jersey in the promo, I think was yes. also. Yeah. John English. Um, yeah, John English promoting the Rams with their horrible bags under his eyes, um, holding up the, like, the Rams sort of English jersey. Uh, that's yeah, always that's stuck right. with me. Well, and nothing says Super League like these bizarre celebrity crossovers, right? Like the mm. Rams, the Rams existed, they only existed for two years, but they did so at the really the peak of let's get some random unrelated celebrity to come in and endorse our football team or code. Uh, and, and you know, you want to talk about legacy, that photo of Chubby Checker singing in full Rams kit, not just a jersey, my very good friends, mm. but like, Jersey, shorts, and socks. Uh, if they'd have Come only, on, everybody. Come yeah, on, well, <laughs> exactly. Let's twist again, like we did last summer. And yeah. let me tell you something: if they had only done that, if that was the only thing that the, the, the Rams mm. had achieved, that would have been enough. That would have been yes. enough for me. Certainly for me, yeah. Would have been. It would have all, all, all been worthwhile. And alas, there is so much more, which we're going to get to uh, over the next few minutes. Uh, I. Before we do that, Gazzy, I think it behooves us to re- talk about what you're wearing. Uh, 
uh, don't stress, listeners, this podcast is not going in a new direction. Uh, Gazzy, can you tell us a little bit uh, about the garment that you have on at the moment uh, and the background to it? Yeah, well, firstly, if, if people want it to go in a new direction, we're entirely open to that. But secondly, uh, yes, I am, in fact, wearing the Golden Fleece. Uh, for those who don't know what the Golden Fleece is, uh, it is the Golden version of the Adelaide Rams jersey worn on only two occasions, uh, the first of which being the week before this game, the second final round of season 1998, and uh, finally against the mighty Newcastle Knights in the final round of 1998. So called the Golden Fleece aptly because it is, of course, golden um, mm-hmm. and fleece good. being uh, what you know comes from a ram, uh, as I'm led to believe. And, and basically, it's a very, very... Uh, big grail amongst the collecting community. Uh, they weren't uh, retailed at all. There's only about 20 of them made. To give you an exact number, I'd have to look at what numbers were worn across the two games. It may even have been, you know, 18 of them or something. So certainly under under 20 of these ever made. Um, what's odd about them as well is that the Rams never wore a, a cotton jersey at any other time. So they play 97 in those sort of, those, you know, synthetic uh, polyester Super League jerseys, rock the same design, for 98 uh, with a, with a Clipsal sponsor on the front. Um, but for some reason, when they needed an away jersey, uh, they've opted for this Nike cotton uh, number for the last two rounds of the season. Um, it's, again, I, I believe it only exists, as I understand it, um, and you have to put a bit of guesswork into some of this stuff, but I believe it only exists purely because the NRL have allowed two teams to enter the 20-team competition <laughs> with the same colours. Mm. Um, Adelaide, you, you'd think with the long and proud one-year history of Adelaide, they might have been able to sort of get around that by making them change colours when they got back together. But uh, the war was far too deep for uh, sensible things like that. So Newcastle and Adelaide just rocked around the whole season wearing exactly the same thing and and, weren't ske- and that was not scheduled to be a problem until the final round of the season where it would have been a very big problem mm. um, so they've rocked out this number uh, it, it remains a mystery to me why they wore it the week before against Norths in a home game I don't really understand that uh, I, I've called it a dry run in the past uh, again not oh, something just to get a feel for it yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. look it's just not something you actually need in, in to, to sort of break in jerseys um, but nonetheless very very uh, obscure and weird bit of jersey collecting history there for, for our listeners and the final yes. ever jersey worn by the Adelaide Rams in season 1998, not known at the time, but but well known now. Yes, and and I mean you you have just so people are clear, you didn't just you didn't just stumble upon this. This is you you obtained this garment after a long and exhaustive search, not unlike the search of uh, Jason and the Argonauts for the original Golden Fleece all those years ago. Yes, but much more admirable. Yeah, so it took yeah. me about three years to find it. Um, I only ever found about two of them. And um, yeah, so I think I, at the moment I'm at about, uh, by last count on the spreadsheet, I'm at about 171 rugby league jerseys between about 78 to the early 2000s. And I would put this as fairly comfortably in the top three um, in terms of yeah. like, if I was to keep five, this would be fairly comfortably in it. Yeah. For, for multiple reasons. It's very, very, it meets being Adelaide Rams is very special, but the obscurity of sort of being the wrong colour uh, being golden, having been worn in Newcastle as well, like I was at cool. the game, so there's a bit of bit of bit of that about it. Um, and yeah, just a one. I think I'll wear just a wonderful bit of garment. I encourage anyone out there to get any piece of Adelaide apparel you can get your hands on. Mm, absolutely right. And uh, look, good. It's good to have a bit of jersey chat. And if you're a jer- mm. if you're one of those people you're listening to this and you think God, 171 football jumpers. I wonder what they all are. Well, boy, do I have news for you. 
Gazza's underscore vintage underscore jerseys on Instagram is the place to see Luke Garrity's magnificent collection of uh, of relics from the rugby league past. It's now, hard to imagine anyone was thinking that, but I appreciate the plug. Yeah, no, happy to help. <laughs> happy to help. You never know. You know, there's a lid for every pot, as they say. Mm. Uh, a little bit of, I mean, we, we should give a little bit of history, very mm. broad brush history on the Rams and how they came to be. Uh, founded in 1995, when the South Australian Rugby League, who had been running a, a first grade competition in South Australia since 1976, signed with Super League. Uh, and part of their deal was a promise of a bit more financial assistance than they'd been getting from the ARL. Mm. Uh, and so they, the, the, the SA Rugby League as a whole signed with Super League and on the proviso that they would be able to form a team in Adelaide. Mm. They, of course, planned to play in 96 and the court cases and everything pushed that all back to 97. But they mm. finally got on the field. So they did play in 96 because they played the trial games. So they did get of on. Um, they got on for some trials in the nines, I believe. Um, so there are. They actually wore an all blue jersey with a yellow uh, collar, believe it or not, like a reverse Mariners for the the uh, in the nines in Fiji, I think. In Fiji, um, I wasn't aware of the Super League nines in Fiji. What yeah, it was it overseas? Uh, don't quote me on Fiji, but it was yeah. overseas. I'm pretty sure it was in Fiji. Yes, and they uh, then rocked. Yeah, so they they didn't actually. Uh, so they did play some games in '96, but obviously no official. Uh, 13 aside that count to the official record until 1997. That's good for me. I'm glad mm. that you've said that because we would have got emails if I'd have said they played in 97. Um, <laughs> yeah, we would have had, we would have had people getting in touch going, well, hang on, mate. Yeah. Um, I only know that because I do have the blue with yellow trim trial jersey from the 96 PG These are the critical pieces of knowledge you develop yeah. when you're searching for, for rugby league jerseys. <laughs> yeah. uh, so their first premiership match, the 1st of March 1997, they lost to North Queensland 24-16 after leading 16-4 at half time, uh, a couple of points about the about early Rams history. Uh, they they made they made history by having the first female CEO in top level rugby league. Uh, when Auckland's marketing manager Liz Dawson became the CEO of the Rams, uh, their original CEO Tim Pickup said, "We don't just want to be competitive; we want to win the competition." Tim Pickup. Tim Pickup. I didn't know he was Brother involved of, with the Rams. Yeah, there you go. Fantastic. I'm, I'm not familiar with the work of Tim Pickup, I have to say, I, I, but there you go. Um, yeah, involved with the original CEO and then left, I think, shortly before the start of the season in 97. Uh, a couple of notes on some of the marketing that the Rams engaged in and some of the things they did to kind of promote themselves. Uh, they attempted to sign George Gregan on big money from Rugby Union mm. uh, in late 95 and, and thought – they might be able to get him over the line. Apparently, they <laughs> they paid him all. I paid. They were offering an extraordinary amount of money uh, to lure him over from Rugby Union. I don't know if Rugby Union dipped into their version of the discretionary fund in order to keep him. Um, but yeah, George Gregan unfortunately in late '95 told them that he wouldn't be coming. They, I, I'm led to believe they wanted him to play halfback, which is a fascinating notion to me because Rugby Union. Scrum half bears very little resemblance to halfback in rugby league. Has a lot more in common with with hooker. So I don't know how I don't know how gorgeous George would have gone at half in rugby league. No, yeah, no, I do. It was one of my biggest bugbears as they were constantly back in that day saying that uh, people who played halfback would come across 
like, sorry, people who played scrum half would come across as halfbacks and they were always talking about rugby league going, oh, you know, wouldn't he make a great halfback in rugby union? And you were going, well, no, they wouldn't play. Like, they were always saying that about, like, Johns and Gower mm. and a few of these guys. You're like, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. There's no way in the world they would play that position if they went to rugby union. It was a real bugbear of mine in stupid um, hypothetical, albeit that Craig Gower did eventually go, like, stupid hypothetical, will he or won't he go to rugby chat? The positional stupidity always bothered me of that. They always mm. equated halfback to... To, to halfback or scrum half slash halfback to halfback. There's a kind it's really, of, um, really troubling. Yeah, there's a kind of basic rugby league Ill- illiteracy about that, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to imagine. That. Yeah, it's very, very hard to imagine George Gregan as a rugby league player, I must say. Um, I don't, yeah. No. I, it, it's just not, not the go. It's not really the, the position. The sort of two positions that you almost wouldn't think would swap over and that might be scrum half and a lot of those bigger tighter forwards like there's just yeah. no real cro- like the comparative. props in that game yeah they just, they, they the, the props and second rowers to a point yeah like albeit brad thorne obviously being a, a sort of account of that but yeah there's some of those positions they're very skill orientated to the sport of rugby union rather than your outside backs and stuff who might be a bit different but no i, I it's a shame it didn't happen it would have been very fascinating to watch that isn't it a shame yeah isn't it? yeah no I, I i had that exact same thought what a missed opportunity for the game uh a couple of marketing points. We talked already about getting Chubby Checker out in the in the Rams mm. jersey to do a bit of let's do the twist and let's twist again. Uh, I, I would also bring this to your attention in round 15, 1998. So this is back in the in the reformed NRL. Mm. The Rams played Illawarra at Bennett Oval Wyala. Why did they play at Bennett Oval Wyala? I hear you ask. Now you want to talk about marketing synergy? Do you want to have a swing at this before I tell you? No. No, okay. Wyala was the home of BHP. There was, a, there, there was a big BHP plant at Wyala, and because it was the Steelers and they were sponsored by BHP and they were called the Steelers, there was this view that that, that, that there would be a, a marketing synergy there, and they, so they played at Wyala. No Wyala wipeout there well, on the TV. I'm glad you did it. I was so glad. As soon as you said the word Wyala, all I could get on was Craig Emerson. Well, that's right. <laughs> I didn't know Wyala wipeout. I was completely Shocking frozen me. from thinking anything else. Shocking <laughs> me right out of my brain. Yeah, uh, yeah 5,153 people turned out at Bennett over Wyala to see Illawarra at 39 Adelaide 4 uh, in, in mm. round 15 of 1998. Mm. Uh so that's good. I think we can say that that's good. Uh, you know, they actually, the, the Rams are a bit of a punchline in rugby league circles. And, and and there is this kind of view of, oh, you know, how did anyone ever think that that would be successful and all of this? Mm. And there's absolutely no clamour to bring them back. You know, you still people still talk about Perth as a place that is desirable mm. for a team and what a success Melbourne's been and all of this. Average home crowd in 1997, first year of Super League, just for the Super League games. Oh, sorry, for all the games, Super League and uh, World Club Challenge. Mm. 14,766. Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's pretty good. What does that go to in 98? Uh, so that goes to 7,682. That, that's quite similar to what happened in Perth, which suggests mm. you do need to have a bit in place, a few fundamentals there. Or it might also say that there's a natural the novelty. It's hard to know whether... So little planning and proper thought was put into this. It's hard to know whether it doesn't keep going in both of those sort of locations because of the lack of planning and, and structure or whether there is a novelty value that, that drops off. But I, I will say I, I had a good think about this just before we did this podcast. And I was thinking, you know, 
they're at such a they're at such a handicap to me compared to even a Perth um, and certainly a Cowboys and Warriors. And that handicap for mine is coming into the Super League. So the way I see it is that if you if you imagine like the Sydney Swans and everything who 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 did have you know took Sydney quite well and um i don't think i don't know if many people i don't know whether people go to the western sydney in the afl i don't i don't follow it but they seem to go all right and have some fans and stuff can you imagine the difficulties that it would have been getting in a, to establish a new team in sydney or brisbane or wherever else they've done it if they had if the afl had been like you we're going to create a new team in sydney but it's not going to play in the afl yeah like it's going to be this own comp where a few random teams play, but it's not going to be. So you get these people in Sydney and instead of at least going, oh, oh the AFL, you know, it's a pretty big thing around Australia. Let's go see if we like it. Um, and you get the fanfare of being at the AFL. It's actually just a game of Aussie rules. Like you're not getting the whole culture and history of the comp imported and getting to go and see, you know, yeah. the reigning premiers X, Y, and Z, or this really good team with a hundred years of history play against your team and, and all this stuff. You just get the game the sport itself without the backdrop. It almost becomes like an exhibition in a way. And that is a little bit of what happened in the Super League. So I know that albeit the Super League has a couple of the good teams or quite a few of the good teams, but it's not playing in the competition. So Adelaide now has a team, but they're not playing they're not playing for the Winfield Cup or, you know, the trophy that's been played for for nearly a yeah, hundred years. They're not it's playing No, that's right. So the, it it sort of to me puts them at an immediate in in my view disadvantage because people who might come along uh, it'd be like you know it's like people go to the state of origin when they go to Melbourne. if new south wales just played someone in melbourne and it wasn't state of origin i don't know that you would get get the same crowd or the same lift for it and i think just spitballing here that that would have been quite a disadvantage for them yeah i tell you another disadvantage that they and this is a quirk of timing that the mariners Mm. also suffered from uh the mariners had the knights going extremely well historically well at the time they were introduced Uh, the Rams had the Adelaide Crows going extremely well. The Crows mm. won the AFL Premiership in 97 and 98. And so at a time where they're trying to get attention and get some, some mm. dare I say, eyeballs, um, the, the Crows are everywhere and they're the, kind of, they're the big thing. And they're, they're, at a, yeah. they're at a real peak where they're getting a lot of attention. It can't have been easy to, to run a rival team in a rival sport at that particular moment. Uh, imagine if they'd introduced... Like, th- think about the Newcastle Jets and the success they were able to have in Newcastle because mm. the Knights were in a low point mm. um, when they first... Remember, there was all that whip and hype around the Jets because everyone had had a gutful of the Knights being bad for five years. Mm. Um, totally different. If the Jets had tried to... I mean, think about the sort of uh, difficulties that the previous soccer clubs in Newcastle had had. Um, it, it That sort of competition can't have been helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point as well. It, it's a combination of all that and Super League's odd formats where they will, as we've spoken about before, when they're going in and out of the club challenges and having breaks in the Super League season and all this stuff and not knowing what was going on or who they were playing and why and all this sort of stuff would, I think, would have become very difficult to try and get your foothold as opposed to walking into a couple of years earlier. If they had to come in when the Cowboys and, and the Warriors and stuff come in and they just come into a, you know, the Optus Cup or the Winfield Cup and, and, play Manly and St George and Newcastle and, you know, whoever and Brisbane and all this sort of stuff for the trophy. Um, I think that might have made life a little bit easier and perhaps Absolutely. even got a bit more um I don't know what the right the right word is, but that sort of pride in the area, like people from Adelaide would have got behind the plucky Adelaide team trying to do well in the national competition and stuff that you get that sort of, Oh yeah, we want them to go well. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm from, I don't watch soccer ever, but like I wish the jets well and stuff automatically because they're from where I am. You know what I mean? And yeah. it would be like a, 
a bit of that. Like you, you wouldn't get that soft support either playing in the Super League a little bit of the way because you don't really understand what they're playing for or what's going on. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And that, that's that's true. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, 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 all of these things were just were weighed against mm. them. Uh, they did have one thing in their favour, though, one big thing in their favour, um, the name. Uh, now, for the Adelaide Rams name, we have to thank none other than John Rebo. Uh, who, many who, things, yeah. But for this and so many other things, uh, because he intervened to stop them from being called the Adelaide Aces. Mm. Now, this was supposed to be a stitch-up with the local casino, but they were going to be called the Adelaide Aces. Uh, and Rebo stepped in and said, no, no, that, that's, un, that's, un, that's not befitting of a rugby league team. That's not a rugby league team name. And he's right. Adelaide Aces could possibly work as like a baseball team, I think. Mm. Maybe like, I don't know, maybe basketball, I suppose, maybe. But it, it's, it sounds very American to me. And instead, he went with the Rams. Why, I hear you ask? Why did he choose Rams or why did he back Rams in? Mm. Because he identified it with, or he felt that other people identified it with strength and hardness. And I'm going to tell you, Gazzy, when I think about the concepts of strength and hardness, there's only one thing I think about, and that's a ram. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, that's fascinating. I knew about the Aces, but I didn't know that sort of history. Um, it's really thrilling to me that he knocked it back because he didn't like the sound of it rather than knocking it back as a promotion for the casino. Um, which is, you know, um, Luckily, we haven't gone down that path in rugby league. Since then, we've stayed away from sort of cross-promoting um, the Cedia Path Society. Well, clear yeah. of that sort of thank you very much, points bet stadium, et cetera. Yeah, again, so, it's, the, influence yeah. Of, uh, the influence of gambling yeah. in, in, in rugby league is negligible. Exactly. Now, we should talk a little bit about how they went as a club. Mm. Uh, I can tell you that in the year 1997, they finished ninth out of 10 in Super League, six wins, 11 losses and a draw. But Mm. there are some funny results in it. They beat beat Penrith home and away. Penrith made Mm. the finals in Super League. The Rams beat them home and away. And they also beat Cronulla, who made the grand final. They beat them 29-18 at Shark Park in April. they also finished third, and I knew you would want to know this. Mm. Uh, they finished third in Group Oz B in the, <laughs> in the World Club Challenge. <laughs> Regular listeners, if you if you haven't, or first time listeners, if you haven't listened to our episode on the World Club Challenge, uh, our Brisbane versus Hunter Mariners episode, I I encourage you to go through it, if only to hear about the format that they ran in the World Club Challenge. But the the Rams, having finished third winning four games from six, did not progress to the knockout stages of the World Club Challenge. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain went through with one win from four from Group Europe B. <laughs> you got to stop saying Group Europe. It gets too much for me. The inclusion of the France team, so you can call it Group Europe. Yeah, yeah no, that's that's a shame. Again, uh, victims of of, the, of a flawed system, I think it's fair to say, um, in the Absolutely. World Club Challenge. Absolutely. I mean, who knows how far they could have gone, you know? Yeah, well, but they could have been the Mariners, you know? Exactly, exactly. Run through to the final. Exactly right. Uh, a missed opportunity there, you would have mm. to agree. 1998, uh, also fairly rocky for the Rams. They ended up finishing 17th out of 20, but they they lost nine out of their first 10 to start the year, which led to... Uh, that makes it difficult. It does. It's a, it, I, I think you start getting into sort of mathematical possibility to make the final mm. very easy. Um, but yeah, sort of before winter, uh, the board didn't dilly dally though. They they sacked Rocket Ready and his whole coaching staff 
in one mm. fell swoop after 10 games, got rid of him and brought in the Dean Lance. But they, they and, and it brought about a rally. Uh, they won six of their last dozen games to finish out the season. Helped enormously, Gazzy, by the influence of a man who seems to be the, the Rorschach test when people talk about the Adelaide Rams, you say, what player do you think of? Almost, and, and, and I'm sure this has been your experience. Mm. Almost unanimously, people come back with Graham Apo. I get a lot of Graham Apo, yeah. I, I in fact, have Rorschach. This is something I do occasionally on my jersey pages, like share a jersey and just say rugby league Rorschach test. Who do you think of when you see this jersey? It was the first player that comes to your head. And it's not a, it, there's no right or wrong answer. You just have to come up with like, who are you seeing in the jersey? Um, or shut your eyes and picture the jersey, who's in it. And, and Apo comes up a lot. For somebody who only changed there in the middle of the season. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's so funny because they existed for two years and he played half of one. And yes. he comes up, uh, you know, the only people that come up with anywhere near as much regularity is is, is an, Iroh and, and Kerrod Walters, um, who were iconic for <laughs> separate reasons um, in Rams Indeed. history. Indeed. Um, but, yeah, he was a very good player, Graham Apo. Well. Very exciting. I've got some uh, I've got some details for you on him. He mm. came to the Rams in the middle of the year after being sacked mm. by the Raiders. Why was he sacked from the Raiders? For failing to turn up at a McHappy Day promotion. <laughs> well, this is this is you've got to remember this is a very important error for mm. McDonald's in the game. That the, the the big M is all over the football. Well, it was point. about the, the following year. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about to be all over the football. It's about maybe to be there the was a view. Peak error. Maybe there was a view that he might endanger the sponsorship by snubbing McDonald's. He he said that he just slept in, but uh, that he had had a couple of like run-ins. I think he'd missed a flight or had been late to training or something. And mm. Mal Meninga, the new Raiders coach, uh, wanting to demonstrate strength and instill a bit of discipline, strength and power, but still the sort of Rams values into the Raiders. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Let him go in the middle of the year and he signed with the Rams. Mm. The, the Apo legacy at Adelaide is extraordinary because, as you say, he played 14 games, but the Rams won six of them. Yeah, it's nearly half. Now, <laughs> well, but they only won 13 games ever across Super yeah. League and the NRL. They won six of them with Graham Apo. I've, I've run some numbers for you, Gazzy. I, I know mm. you love a stat. I've, I I've, I've put some numbers through the computer. I can exclusively reveal on this podcast that... In all the games the Adelaide Rams ever played without Graham Apo, mm. they had a 25% win rate, 7 out of 28. Yeah. In all the games they played with Graham Apo, 43%. It's fairly handy. Um, that 20% would be boosted a bit by the World Club Challenge too. I think if you took it out, well, it'd be very like this is. I only include. I didn't yeah. include that World Club Challenge yeah. hocus pocus in those numbers. Oh, you didn't. Okay. No, I didn't. So that, that's very. That's remarkable. That's sort of getting into Andrew Johns uh, with or without at Newcastle territory. That exactly. Graham Apo, the betting odds. <laughs> Graham Apo is the Adelaide Rams immortal. I'll give you mm. some more. He holds the having played fourteen games for them, only half a season. He holds the records for most tries in a game, in a season, and all time. Mm. He holds the records for most goals in a game and a season, most points in a game, in a season, and all time. He holds all the individual records except for most most games, which is held by Kerrod Walters. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. Uh, it is fantastic. It's an extraordinary legacy uh, in for, for for Rams history. He's very much the the Ken Irvine of the Rams. 
Oh, absolutely. It's a very fair yeah. comparison. Well, except that, you know, Ken Irvine might get run down. Like, I mean, like, we've at the moment got Alex Johnson trying to run down Ken Irvine's records here, but no one's going to run down Graham Apo, as no. far as I'm aware. No, but it's it's gonna... an extraordinary effort from here, given that they that they don't play. Yeah, and haven't played for nearly 25 yeah. years. Yeah, exactly I think right. You can, he can be reasonably confident that he's going to keep those records for all time. Hmm. Uh, some of their victories in, 20, in 1998, they... Again, they finished 17th, only won seven games. But they finished above Souths, the Chargers, and Wests. Mm. Uh, the Rams also beat Canterbury, who made the grand final. So in both <laughs> years, in the top grade, they beat one of the grand finalists. Uh, 22-20 in round three, uh, that win. They also beat St. George 22-20 in round 13, and the Warriors 22-20 in round 20. So three of their seven games that they won were all by the same scoreline. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's a kind of Illuminati thing. I'm just letting you know. Yeah, that seems uh, that's, yeah, I don't know what to say to that. That's, uh, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I didn't expect you to. Now, mm. Lisa George, and we're talking about the comments that we got on Facebook through the week, the 22-20 mm. victory over St. George in round 13 of 1998 is famous really for one thing and one thing only, um, and that is? Well, that's eye-rowing. Yeah. Uh, which is, um, you know, an IRO is, of course, for those who are not aware, is in the rugby league dictionary where to do an IRO is to run backwards, to run the clock down um, right, and baby. to use the, to use the length of the field in reverse. So to be on the attack <laughs> and to basically use the space behind you to run backwards and wind down the clock when you're in front with limited time left, which, mm. which sadly went out of the game almost immediately and 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 I thought it was gone forever um until of course last the last two seasons we have seen two we saw we saw Cody Nikarima do a partial IRO I referred to it as he ran back about 20 20 meters in a game and then Sam Walker did what could only be described as a full-blown IRO yeah and ran like the entire <laughs> effect of the it was field. extraordinary that was that Backwards. was a deluxe IRO he ran the full yeah. the full field I don't even think I think Tony IRO was apprehended on about the halfway line as yeah. time ran out but he did more swirls. Like Walker ran backwards fairly straight line. Like Iro did a lot of zagging, um, yeah. and swirling around and spinning. And it, it that was it was fantastic. It, it's one of the there's uh, very few things that make me happy. And like mm-hmm. there's mouse trapping. There's this people eye rowing there's people playing the ball in the wrong direction. It's in that category. Like it's just a it few is. things. Every that time make it happens, me really happy. Yeah. Well, every time it happens, one of us will end up texting the other IRO in capital letters, like repeatedly, yeah. with, like alarm emojis and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there was an outbreak of it a couple of years ago. There was a, a cluster of IROs uh, in, in the NRL, and there was a bit of talk from a friend of mine that it needed to be stamped out of the game, um, <laughs> which, dare I say, eradicated. Thank you very much, Joey Johns. Uh, but, yes, the, the, the Tony IRO miracle of 1998 mm. uh there's a lot of hand wringing about. It. I watched in preparation for this episode. I watched a clip from uh, Sturlow's show on Channel Nine, or one of his like midweek things on Channel Nine from the mm. year that Sam Walker did it against Parramatta. And there was a lot of talk of it was a bad look for the game, and it's Sturlow was quite quite alarmed about it and said, "I, I really don't like this. Like I, it's um it's not a good look for the game. It shouldn't be happening. We don't want this. We don't want this creeping into a you know dare I say our game." Our game. Yeah. yeah. I, I well, I mean, it, it's such you. I mean, does it matter? Because I, how is it, for example, different to people who just like the last minute of a game when a team with the balls in front is just constantly slow play the ball, fake injuries, and winding up slowly? I mean, does it make any like they may as well do it comically? 
and run backwards the length of the field. The legacy of Ira, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, that's really right. different. Like everyone knows the game's like a complete blighter in the last minute when someone's in front because they don't. Yeah. They just the team with the ball just carries it out of two arms and runs slowly, plays the ball slowly, and everyone on the other team's crowd boos about it and would do the same thing yeah. if their team was in front. So by it's all just, means, just Ira. Yeah, it's bigger just issues. A, it's a bit of bigger a flourish issues. to win the game, but yes, yeah. it's very polarizing. The the yeah. Ira issue. Not here. No, not with us. Not with you and me. No, that's right. Now, just before we move on, I, I just got one more point on Graham Apo. Uh, 12 tries in 14 games for the Rams, who came 17th. Mm. And from there, now you would think if somebody scored 12 tries in 14 games for a team running 17th in a 20 team competition, you'd think mm. they must have something about them, right? Like this guy, whoever, you know, this guy's going to get another deal. He's going to play, he's going to have a decent career in the NRL, if not for the Rams, because they're folding. He only played 18 more games in the rest of his NRL career before moving to England. Mm. Played three for the Roosters in 99, 15 for the Cowboys in 2000, and then went and played in the Super League for a few years, and that was the end of him. Yeah, yeah, he never really kicked on it. It was now, this was his moment in the sun 14 games, 12 tries. I mean, extrapolating out, if the Rams were still playing today, imagine how many tries he'd have. If we assume he was to hold that strike rate and sort well, of never well, retire. Then, it's. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it, imagine it what the record just, would be. Yeah, yeah, he's really just a Rams specialist. No good out of Adelaide. Yeah, just had the it, the, mm. the chemistry was just right at the Rams. Uh, we, I suppose, we have to talk a little bit before we get into this this game and, and the fact that it was their last game. I suppose we should talk a little bit about why uh, the Rams very much wanted to be part of 1999 and wanted to stay on in the NRL. They held merger talks, and I was not aware of this until researching this. Did you know they held merger talks with Canberra? That's that's very odd. It, it's, you know, I know mergers were the thing of the day. Like, that, that was a real thing, and, you know, mergers were just hot, weren't they, merging with teams. But it really was a thing that could only work in Sydney. Like, you, you can't merge expansion sides because <laughs> they have their own area. Like, you can't you – know, maybe the crushes and the charges or something, but, like, you can't merge – Adelaide with someone that's not Adelaide. <laughs> just, I would have thought so either, Gabby. Like, what are you going to do, merge them with Perth? Like, you know, Canberra's not anywhere near Adelaide. Like, mm. how, do, how do you possibly – why would Canberra like, – given this point, Can- Canberra only a couple of years removed from being, like, the best team ever <laughs> at this yeah. point. Like, why would they want to merge with, with, with Adelaide and become the Canberra-Adelaide Raiders? Like, what, well, and, and, and for, for overseas listeners uh, who might not be familiar with the geography mm. of Australia, that is absolutely correct. I, I can confirm that Canberra and Adelaide are not nearby. Um, apparently the arrangement was that Campbell would basically swallow them and take all of their players, but uh, play one or two games a year in Adelaide as a bit of, Yeah. Well, well, two things. Firstly, something I was going to mention later that comes up in commentary, they only had four players from this team signed for 1999. So, what players were Canberra absorbing at mm. re- like at this point? Well, player? the irony would have been if they'd have ended up with Graham Apo again. Yeah, that's right. So, so they've not they've only had four players from this game were signed for the next season. So it's hard to imagine why the Raiders would want to absorb their players. Um, secondly, I suppose on that is that there was already being a couple of games a year played in Adelaide, but like as a rule, the Tigers and, and I think maybe the Dragons had taken games there before mm. at, at least once, you know, a year or something like that. So I don't know that there needed to be a merger to get a game played in, in Adelaide. It's a very, yeah. I, I mean, I guess I understand 
if you think the writing's on the wall trying to survive in some form, but I just don't think that's really a form. Like there's not there's no survival in 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 no, that. It's you, just you a gotta, takeover. Yeah, it, look, it, it's a shame that they went out. The, the unfortunate thing of the, about the Super League war and just before is the ARL went way over the top, bringing four teams in at once, and then the Super League war happened, which made that even worse. And you know, you, you have twenty two teams in ninety seven across the two competitions, and you get that down to twenty. Um, to come back, and then everyone knows that's too many, which is the irony, of course, is that they had 20 in the first place a few years earlier in the ARL, but everyone had come around to the view that that was too many, rightfully, and you start whittling them back. So you have all these locations that they they were brought in at the wrong time, given no time, and then taken back out. And you only have to look at what happened with, with Melbourne, who get brought in and, you know, have managed to carve out a very successful place in the game. To, to realise that it didn't necessarily have to be that way for your Perth and Adelaide's. Um, but for whatever reason, they just sort of brought them in at a terrible time and they were really easy to get rid of because at this point, you know, with a 20-team competition, the teams sort of needed to go out of Sydney. But, like, it became a – they were a lot, it's a lot harder to get rid of Sydney teams than it is to get rid of Adelaide because you don't have that support and um, history and, and, and that, you know – hard rugby league-ness to fight for it. It's very difficult to get rugby league people to give up a Sydney team. So it was just very easy to get rid of these teams they just brought in and then to say it didn't work. And that's become a bit of a view. If you talk to a lot of people, they go, oh, yeah, nah, Adelaide, it didn't, we've tried that. It didn't work. Or Perth, it didn't work. And I, I just don't know that that's the takeaway message. I would almost say this was so odd and chaotic and done so poorly at these times that you would almost write it off as saying, we haven't tried, not it didn't work. Mm. And, and it's pretty clear when you go back over the articles from the time that the NRL had just decided that this this place was cactus. They mm. brought Melbourne in after Super League, and it's pretty clear that they were backing Melbourne. They'd picked Melbourne as a winner and wanted to back them in, and that Adelaide were for the for the wreckers fairly early in 1998, and that the decision was more or less made. They actually wouldn't let yeah. Balmain even have talks with them about a merger. There was talk of Balmain either relocating or... Uh, taking on the Rams players and merging, and the, the NRL wouldn't even allow them to do it. Yeah, see that that that's a poor decision. Like, firstly, the Melbourne thing is odd because it's so odd that we tried all these expansion teams, none of which were Melbourne, and then Melbourne are the one that come out of it. Like to think mm. that you go into '97 with Perth and Adelaide and come out of the war. Basically, you know, we have this sort of patch-up year, then we come out of the war properly and the reunification comes together by letting someone else into a new city with no history and taking out the ones we just started is odd. I believe it was Rebo's baby Melbourne and he obviously was very involved nearly. So whether that was just something he wouldn't give up, you know, the negotiations are always very personal. Like it's um, yeah. if he decided Melbourne was a goer, but but it's odd if he thought that why he didn't get them into the first season. So that that's all um, for ninety seven. So that's all a bit odd. And the, the bow main thing is disappointing because I, I think that is a lost opportunity. Um, I think that someone like I think that what could have worked really well and probably better than the mergers we ended up with is that St George and and Balmain going to Melbourne and Adelaide or something was probably the way the AFL did it seems to have worked much better than what what we did. Um, that we were stuck with a lot of teams in Sydney and this patchwork sort of way of losing Illawarra and patching them up with uh, St. George with Cronulla in the middle and the un- sort of very uncomfortable marriage of, of West and Balmain that's never really um, as su- well supported as they are, never really quite felt right. Um, 
I think if you're going to bite the bullet and do it, that you could you could have implanted the history of Balmain into into an Adelaide or St George into a into a Melbourne and probably had that go quite well. Yeah, I suppose in, in the way that Brisbane is seen as mm. carrying on the kind of kind of lineage of Fitzroy and the Swans are seen as South. They've yep. still got some kind of link to South Melbourne and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Um, and and I suppose we're seeing a little bit of that now in the talk about the Bears being taken over, taken over to Perth, and they would still be the Bears, and they'd be seen as kind of part of the same timeline as the original yep. Bears, and uh, all of that might play a couple of games at North Sydney. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. thought. Well, I, I, I wonder what a yeah. I wonder what a Balmain supporter would would they prefer the Tigers that were still the Balmain Tigers, but now playing out of another city. And playing a couple of years, a couple of weeks a year at Leichhardt Oval in mm. their original jerseys and all that kind of thing, would that mm. be better than constantly having this kind of amalgam of of them and West? I don't know. I mm. maybe not. I guess because they get to see the West Tigers every week. But it's interesting that they really did talk. They they either tortured clubs completely or just mangled them together. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a, it, and it's just a shame. I think you know it might have been, but. It just all came at the wrong time. Like, really, realistically, they were always going to be a casualty. If you look at it, that the ARL had already done these expansion sides, and you get then the Super League tries to bring in a couple more in the, in the Mariners and Adelaide. Once you get back together, there was always going to be a lot of difficulties keeping all the expansion sides because they're just so easy to expend. And and you know, uh, Adelaide would just always probably going to be uphill being Super League's expansion side. There. Yeah, it seems that way. It seems they were picked off pretty early. The decision was actually only made in December of 98 to 499. So you've got this club that thinks it's going around again in mm. like it's at the point where they need to be doing pre-season training. You've got uh, players who are on contract for mm. three months' time and still nobody knew if they were going to survive. And finally, they make the decision in 98. Uh, they had, amongst others, they actually had just signed Luke Prittis uh, before the decision was made to boot them out of the comp. They had Jason Ferris going there as well. But... Mark Hughes as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. A couple of good players. Luke Prittis would have been a good get. Yeah, especially at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, two pieces of backlash. We talk about whether they had any support in the Adelaide community and in South Australia. I will I'll take you to two pieces of information, Gazzy. One, mm. on a Channel 9 Adelaide News phone poll, 97% of the 3,000 respondents said, keep the Rams. We want the Rams. Now, mm. that's democracy. Yeah, I mean, if it's come up in a Channel 1 sort of phone poll, I've heard enough. Exactly. I would have thought exactly you'd be right. straight, on the, straight on the phone to the head of the NRL at that point. So many people have spoken. It would, of course, help if 97% of those people had gone to the games. Um, but <laughs> it's good to see them voting in the phone poll. Yeah, voting, that's yeah. right. Uh, yeah, if, we, if we can't trust the results of a television six o'clock news poll, then what can we trust? Yeah, I've forgotten that phone polls were great, weren't they? It was like um, you used to, the main reason that phone polls existed was for people to vote in classic catches, as I remember. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> you right. You had to call up, and, call up and dial in if you thought that sort of Mark Waugh's one-hander at second slip was the best catch of the summer and stuff like that. That's <laughs> yeah, sort of the only reason they existed, right? Yeah, and to evict people from Big Brother, I think, was the other thing. That yeah, was, that was, I yeah, think that was yeah. how you voted on who you wanted to punt out of the Big Brother house. Uh, I'd, I would obviously have to consult Gretel Colleen on exactly how it worked. Uh, the other thing I, I have to mention is that the 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 
defenestration of the Rams was criticised by none other than then South Australian opposition leader and future Premier Mike Rand. Really? You cannot expect the Rams to have won over South Australians after just two seasons in such an Aussie rules stronghold, especially given the extraordinary nature of those two seasons. Opposition leader Mike Rand, 1998. He's got my vote. No wonder he... I've never been to South Australia, but if I was there at the relevant time, he'd have had my vote. That's for sure. No wonder um, he became Premier, let me tell you. Strong no, pro, yeah. That all of those people that voted in that phone poll and all of the silent majority out there in the suburbs of Adelaide would have voted with their feet at the at the following election what? and installed Mike Rand in power. It's not a coincidence, Gazzy. No, well, I would say that for South Australian politicians out there, that um, there's a 100% success rate for people who've come out as pro-Rams going on to be Premier of the state. So if you're looking if you're looking for a sort of a wedge issue to come out now and go pro-Rams, I'd you love guarantee. to see someone now come out and say, you know what, I want to see the Rams back in yeah, South well, Australian politics, run a platform. Well, Malinowskis, I mean, the ball's in your court. You've got to get this sorted. It's a, it's yeah. a proven vote winner. And you can guarantee on the ABC coverage of the 2002 South Australian election, there would have been a comment, the RAM vote has been very strong tonight. There would have been people mentioning in exit polls, mm. saying what, what, which issues are you concerned about? Well, you know, health, education, uh, RAMs, bingo. That was yeah. the thing that swung my vote. That's it's not a coincidence. Right. Uh, so there you have it, a brisk history of the Adelaide Rams. We're going to talk about the last match they ever played. Uh, we should talk a little bit about the, the context of that actual game. Obviously, the, the final match of the season, the Rams came in, kind of having battled away through the season to avoid the wooden spoon. They weren't in the wooden spoon positions. Uh, they weren't any threat of getting it by the time this game came around. West's had that uh, well and truly sewn up on eight points with, a, I think, minus 400 points difference in 20th place. <laughs> it's fairly handy. Yeah. Off the top yeah. of my head, that, I might be doing them a mischief there, but it's, it's certainly something like that. Uh, I will take you through the uh, the sides, if you like, but I should mention as well mm. the Knights, who were their opponents on this historic day, finished first on 37 points, equal first with the Broncos, but about 200 worse off on points difference. 18 wins, five losses and a draw. They had to win this game in the last round to ensure that they would finish second because Melbourne was sneaking up on them on 35 points uh, with a very similar points difference. So if the Knights had lost this game, they would have missed out on second place, missed out on the week off in the 10-team final system. Thanks very much. I'm very glad you mentioned that. I was worried you weren't going to. Um, the 10-team final system is, of course, the best thing ever. Yes. 10 teams in the finals. Yeah. Um, and, yes, week one would have given them the week off. And it um, was very important uh, to jump a little bit ahead of my notes here. Newcastle, we'll go through the, the teams in a minute, but Newcastle actually at this point uh, have nine regular first graders out. They are fielding two players in this game that play, that started in the 97 grand final. Um, only you know less than a year earlier, they are missing Paul Harrigan, Matthew Johns, um, O Davis, Albert Hughes, Mad Dog, uh, McDougal, uh, Owen Craigie, and Bill Peden, and I'm forgetting yep. someone. But so that you might. So the context of this game is it's actually I mention that because it's incredibly important for Newcastle because they're about to play a final. You're really the week off at this point with that amount of cattle. <laughs> Some of those guys might be out yeah. of play in two weeks and maybe not one. So you're at there. This was actually a really important game for them to somehow find a way to win with the very large majority of their starting team not playing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. extraordinary when you look at the Newcastle team and that stat about two players from the 97 grand final, but there is just 
it's it's absurd. Like, can you imagine like mm. that amount of turnover in a season? Well, uh, it'd be easy to think it was a rest. Like, if you looked at this roster and you look at it in modern eyes, you think they were resting. That yeah. That's what had happened. That they'd left all these guys out because they had a, the finals and couldn't move. Because that is what would happen now. Albeit, obviously, one of them would have been Andrew. If that was yeah. the case. Um, that, that looks like they're resting, but they're not. They're, they're just an entire starting team is injured. <laughs> We have talked about this before at length on the mm. 1998 uh, Paul Carriage Miracle uh, Canterbury versus Parramatta mm. preliminary final podcast, which I think is the second one we ever did. But I will just repeat that the 10-team final system involved four games in the first week as qualifying finals, four games in the second week as quarterfinals, then two semifinals, two prelims and a grand final. Do the sums. That's 13 finals across five weeks. Fantastic. That's what I want. That's a, that's an all, that's almost a separate competition. It's sensational. Uh, yeah, 10 team finals forever in our hearts. Uh, and maybe, you know, we're creeping back up there now. I mean, after all the rationalisation, we're back up to 17 next year. Who knows? Maybe we could get back to 20 and we could get this wonderful system back in and start the finals in mid-July. You'd love to see it, wouldn't you? I know I would. 10 uh, teams in the finals. There is very rarely four good teams in a competition <laughs> just in any given year. It's, so, it's very rarely four decent teams playing. To have 10 go into the finals is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. As I say, absolutely got my support. Maybe that's something that, maybe that's something that Mike Rand uh, could, you know, mm. or some, some aspirant state politician could promise in the run-up to maybe the New South Wales election next year. Canterbury, by the way, came ninth that season, which is absurd. Mm. They came ninth of 10 and made the grand final. Uh can I ask you yeah. this question? What is extraordinary about 1998 for the Newcastle Knights? What is unusual about it and what separates it from every other season in Knights history? Uh, I, I'm not sure. You'll have to, have to tell me. It is the only season in which Andrew Johns played every game. Is it? Yeah. Uh, 26 I... from 26. Yeah. It's, um, that would make it unusual. Uh, he... Uh, it's very surprising he played the one after this one. So he goes off uh, late, pretty injured. But um, no, that, that's obviously that's not something you really should have brought up. We're trying to have a good podcast and we've got a long way to go. And lamenting how much Andrew Johns got hurt throughout his career is not something that will put me in a particularly good mood. I just um, thought it was... Should a... have won about five competitions and, you know, this being one of them, for the record. Sorry. But um, yeah, no, it, it's... He played the game very hard, including in this game. Some of the defence and stuff he does is, um, yeah, it, it's on another level, and you can see why his body was pretty, pretty shot by the time he was in his early thirties. He just plays with a ferocity you would not allow your halfback no. to play with anymore. You would just instruct him to stop doing these things, you know, because it's just not any good for you. But yeah, um, that's, no, that's that's, that's very upsetting. Sorry about that. Uh, now I'll take you through the teams. Mm. We will begin with the we'll begin with the lesser order issue that is the Knights, fullback Jason Allen, wings Sean Rudder and Evan Cochran, centres Jason Moody and Danny Badiris, halves Matthew Gidley at five eight and Andrew Johns captain at halfback, front row of Tony Butterfield and Glenn Grief, hooker Lee Jackson and a second row of David Lomax, Peter Shields and Neil Piccinelli, and a bench Brock Mueller, Jared O'Doherty, Mick Jenkins and Grant Stewart. Coached by Malcolm Reilly in his last season at the Knights. As they run out onto the field, Andrew Voss, who's in commentary, more on him later, says many Knights fans may not know some of these names. They, you know, you'd have to be pretty diehard to know who some of these blokes are. Um, 
can I say, 24 years on, that's still true. Some of these guys barely ever played again. And I don't mean to make fun of them, but, but like, they just, some quite a few of them never played another first grade game almost. Yeah. So I went um, from when I was about, say, two to when I was about, say, 17, I went to every home game, but there was a part of 2001 where I got banned from my mother from going um, due to a family uh, uh, incident. It was the only thing she thought would, would hit me where it hurt. Um, but apart from that, I was at pretty much every, and a lot of the time, maybe 90% of the time I was at reserve grade and the under 19s. Yep. Um, and I raise this because there is a couple of people in this game that I don't remember. And that's very mm. unusual <laughs> having been at not only this, but the earlier game. So noting, the good reserve grade players and stuff. Um, I I don't remember just a very small number of players in this game at all. So um, yeah. that that's the level of uh, players out and injured that we we're at in this game. It's um pretty, yeah, for pretty dire straits. Well, for for reference, Jason Allen played two a total of two first grade games. Grant Stewart played two. Uh, Mick Jenkins, who's on the bench, played three. Brock Mueller played six. Well, I of course remember Brock Mueller, but of course um, to clarify. Yeah, um, it's and, uh, and and look, the other thing that goes to that, of course, is the positions. I mean, da- like, I mean, I don't think we can let Danny Badiris playing centre pass without comment, having no. now sort of gone down as one of the best sort of five hookers ever, pretty comfortably. Yeah. Um, he's named at fullback in the one and playing centre. Uh, you know, in dramatic foreshadowing, goes into dummy half for a ruck late in the game and scores this great try that sort of suggests maybe that's where he should have been playing. But he's at, then in at five eight in the middle of the game. Sean Rudder, Premiership winning five eight. Uh, for Newcastle is playing on the wing, which isn't something that happened a hell of a lot of, at, at all. Uh, no. He was sort of known as quite a big, slow 5'8", if anything. Like, he sort of was the sort of well, guy. He ended up in the second row. He, yeah. he moved from the wing yeah. to the second row, I think, if memory serves. Yeah, there, there wasn't really a time where he wasn't the sort of 5'8", you thought, gee, I think he'd be at home on the wing. So there's a lot of odd things happening here. Even Jason Moody, good as a player as he was, was a lot more of a winger than a centre. There's a lot of parts in odd positions sort of, no more than Danny Baderis playing at centre, mm. um, who I will note just quickly, by the way, it's funny, isn't it, when you see young, good players, because he's playing in completely the wrong position in skills that he's got none of, and he's still noticeably really good. Like, he's really young in this. He's still sort yeah. of just out of high school, and you're getting around, and you can even tell watching him out at centre, because he's just chasing everything hard, busting out of the ego. Well, hang on, this guy can play football. I don't know if he's a centre, but you could sort of, you couldn't really miss him, could you? No, that's right. Um, no, it is it is quite noticeable actually, and, and uh, keen eye. Mario Fenix says after six minutes, he'd only seen six minutes of him, and said, "This Danny Badiris, I like the look of him. He's one to watch. Uh, don't get much past Mario. He knows." What's yeah, good. yeah. Well, that's something we before you go through the Rams team, we should I will just briefly touch on is the only thing odder than Newcastle and Rams lineup and the yellow jerseys is the oddity of the commentary lineup of Vossi, Mario, and local NBN Sports reporter Mike Rabit. So if yeah. we have any Newcastle fans here, like any Newcastle people here, they'll, you'll all know Mike Rabit, who was famous for reading the local news for a very long time and occasionally doing sort of local nights games on NBN shown late at night, not live. Um, it seems like an incredibly cobbled together com- like, I don't know how this team was cobbled together. But yeah. Andrew Voss, Mazza and Mike Rabit, but it seems just like from another world, doesn't it? Optus, like Optus NRL... The, the Optus coverage of the NRL exists Optus in a vision. Optus vision yeah. exists in a parallel universe. Yeah, some of the stuff that went on there, uh, you get a lot of TK on Optus. Yeah. You get a lot of like that bloke that used to call the rugby on Fox. What was his name? Glenn something, or oh, Greg um, something. Anyway, 
You get lost me at TK. Anytime you bring up yeah, Terry sorry. Kennedy. Ugh. They will score in the corner. Uh, anyway, I could go on, uh, but I, I won't. Let me mm. take you through the Rams team. Please uh, do. Fullback Dion Bird. Wings Matthew Daylight and Rocket Rod Jensen. Gosh, good to see you. We've really bookended Rocket Rod Jensen's career through our contributions on this yeah. podcast, haven't we? I think this is the third of our games in which mm. he's appeared. Centers Danny Grimley and Graham Apo, Rams Immortal. Halves Luke Williamson at 5'8 and Noel Goldthorpe. Uh, Tri series, uh, you know, draft breaker, Noel Goldthorpe at halfback. Wasn't it good to see Luke Williamson, by the way? Wasn't it good to see Luke Williamson? It really was. He was what? Would you agree? He's one of those players that, like, a real, um, just honest, decent player that everyone likes. Do you know what I mean? Like, like a Willie, uh, sorry, Willie, a Billy Peden of of sort of manly and stuff like that. Like, there's just players we and Sean Fensom's another one. Like, bloke, like just really good Alan Tongue. Like guys who are just like decent and good and do a job. And he, he wasn't he? Like, it would be very hard not to like him. Mm, he had a um, great career, too. Yeah, he was a really good player. Really 218 first-grade games. Uh, kick goals and yeah. He, yeah, he was a really good player. You could put him in multiple positions. So those guys that you'd like chuck in the centres when he was younger, a 5'8", lock and all that. Look, he's just one of those honest, there's just something beautiful about that sort of rugby league player. I think yeah. Peden's one, Fenson's a really good one. Just, you go, oh, God, didn't he? He had a good go and was handy, wasn't he? Mm, that's but they'd of... never make a rep team, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. Um, so he's in he's in at 5'8 mm. in this side. Noel Goldthorpe's at halfback. Mm. The front row is Andrew Pierce and Mark Corvo with captain Karen Walters at hooker. Second row, Darian Doherty, he of the Doherty record. I dare say we'll get to that at some point. Adam Peake is also in the second row with Dean at Skifalini at lock. The bench, Andrew Hick, Brett Galea, Peter Clark, and Jamie McDonald, and coached by Dean Lance. Yeah. So a few things there. Firstly, uh, I have the, the jersey I have on is that of Jamie McDonald. Um, and it is the, interestingly enough, he is tackled on the final play of the game. So I'm in possession of the finally used Rams jersey, used in the final play, who had the ball at full time uh, in this match. That is, uh, which I like I just have to say, like it, I know that if you, you know, it is satisfying enough for you just to know that, but I want you also to know how much I respect you for owning that that yeah. item. You know, it's extraordinary. It is. It's, it's amazing that you, as a private citizen, are allowed to own it and have uh, to own it and haven't been kind of coerced in donating it to some kind of national gallery or the you know the Museum of Australian Democracy or something like that. You know what I mean? Oh, the bish, yeah, the bish shootout, like a like a. <laughs> David Siege in the house, like yeah. Going out. It's um yes, uh, I'll, I do also have Peter Clark's home jersey in the cupboard as well from that year. So I'll mention that because he's there. Um, got his home clipsal. Very nice man. Met him in Sydney McDonald's last year. A lovely bloke. Um, so aside from that, there are a few sort of more important things I need to mention from this lineup. I can't um, hard to imagine. Yeah. So look, I think first of all, what I'd like to do is there are people in this game who have a record of playing for multiple uh, defunct clubs. Oh, this is fantastic. So firstly, I mean, I think most people who listen will be aware of the Doherty record, but, um, I suppose to, to know what that is, and we refer to it a lot here is the Doherty record is, of course, he holds the record for most clubs played for, um, to take you through it. He played for in order Penrith. Western Suburbs, the Sydney Bulldogs, the Illawarra Steelers, the Hunter Mariners, the Adelaide Rams, and, and North Queensland for a total of 67 games. Yeah. Um, 
20 games for the Steelers, 19 for the Rams are his top two. Uh, he also gets to double figures at the Mariners, but the, that's that's double figures at three and non-double figures um, at the other four, less than 10. Yeah, um, and again, which... I, we, we will get people kind of writing to us, going, oh, you know, you call it the Doughty record, but Tyron Smith and Blake Green played for mm. the same number of clubs. It's just not the same. Tyron Smith, 188 games in first grade. Uh, like Blake Green played in the grand final, played 270 top-grade games across Australia and the UK. It's just not the same as Darian Doughty playing, you know, 67 games across seven clubs. It is the Doherty record and always will be. Until somebody somebody either gets more clubs or does it in fewer games. Yeah, I mean, he did it first, for starters. Yes. Um, But there is a sub-record that he also uh, actually holds, or he's actually the equal record holder of this one, depending on, I might need you to arbitrate um, whether he's the outright record holder or not. But um, he... He also holds the record, as far as I'm aware, and if someone can disprove this, please do. But from all my research, uh, yes, which I'd imagine is considerable, about yeah. an hour and a half, um, is he played for four defunct clubs on that hey. list, uh, having played for uh, Western Suburbs, the Steelers, the Mariners, and the and the Brams. Um, yeah. So that's four. Also, uh, he has a wonderful streak where he actually plays for three. Like he plays for the Steelers in '96, the Mariners in '97, the Rams in '98. So for three seasons, he plays for someone who, by the end of '98, doesn't exist anymore. Um, two teams. He's the two teams in there. The Mariners actually fold with him in it, as did the Rams. And I would have thought North Queensland, where he goes to in '99, would have been fairly hesitant at that point to take him on, given yes. their tenuous place in the game. At that well, point. he was, the, he was yeah. the angel of death. He yeah, there's the... <laughs> a real thought that they t- we might end up folding if we bring yeah, him up. Yeah, bring this bloke um, to the end yeah. of us. So he, uh, I had to mention him. There's a couple of others. Uh, Goldthorpe and Schifferlitty played for two. Uh, yep. Goldthorpe play, of course, again, uh, a Mariner and Ram. He killed off two clubs yeah. back-to-back. Uh, Schifferlitty played for, of course, the Steelers. There's an interesting um, point you raised there on Goldthorpe, who famously, of course, also played for the Dragons, who merged. I don't think, and I, I assume this is where you're going, mm. I, I don't think anybody would claim that the Dragons are a defunct club. Even though they merged, clearly the Steelers lost almost everything except a few games in their home ground. The Dragons are still called the Dragons, still wear the red V, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think we can all agree. I don't want anyone saying, you know, oh, the Dragons and Georgia defunct. I'm just not having it. You want arbitration? That's arbitration. I'm just not having a go. Yeah, that. Th- that wasn't what I was going to raise, but I've had that out with people before. I do think of it as a takeover. I realise that it's no- it may not be on a legal level, but I I, I think that people have. In- I think that people look at that team and have inherited the history of St George. I think they think that St George is playing, and that's yeah. uh, that, and that and that this team is the same club that won 11 comps in a row and stuff. And I don't think they think they're the same team as the Illawarra Steelers. Um, and the West Tigers, I don't think is quite the same. I, I think that the West Tigers don't really, they don't think, or they there's people don't think of them as being the same team that had Warren Ryan coach them to back-to-back grand finals and stuff. And like they accept and embrace and celebrate those things or, or the West, the great Western suburbs. So it's not that they don't think those things existed or celebrate them, but they don't really think this team did it. And I think for St. George, just on vibe and feel, that the people who follow them still think that those things that happened for St. George are part of this club. Again, so, we're talking about continuation of timelines yeah. here. So I would agree with that. Um, where I need you brought in on, on Doherty okay. is that this This is, firstly, this is my, one of my favourite things ever. So I, I had to bring up my favourite defunct club collector, which is uh, 
Goddard, Jamie Goddard. So oh, yes. Jamie Goddard, why I love about him is that he only played for clubs that no longer exist. <laughs> so he fundamentally, <laughs> he can't go to old boys day anywhere. <laughs> like, he, played, he played like in a, you know, like he played a lot of, he played state of origin, for example, like he, he wasn't like this yeah. wasn't some flash in the pen player. He, he played uh, 160 games. In, in at the top level, but cannot go like if, when we get to the final round of the season and clubs do all boy days, all boy days, he can't show up to any of them because mm. there's none, none of his clubs are playing. So, where I need you as an arbitrator is that he played for the Gold Coast Seagulls, the Gold Coast Chargers, North Sydney, and the Northern Eagles. So, the question becomes whether we're prepared to count the Seagulls and the Chargers as one club, in which case he has been to three clubs or whether he is equal with Doherty on four because he played for two iterations um you know because they inherited as far as I'm aware the contracts and stuff like that but there is and there is sort of the seagulls do end it's bought out um madly by the, the owner of the gladiators who is then foisted in the ARL by it by basically buy out the Gold Coast franchise and start again and they, under a new name so it depends whether we're prepared to count the Gold Coast as a separate iteration, whether he has actually equaled well, Doherty. On. Did he play for? Did, did he ever play for? Did he play in the World Sevens for the Gladiators? I would have to. Che- I have to check that he was there. So there's a chance. There's another legal question as to whether you count oh, the. God. Do you count the Sevens as NRL canon or ARL canon? And if so, Whoa, that's another. I- he's been. He's played for another club which no longer exists. No, I, I, I'm no. I think you have to. I, I think you've got to play a competition game. Okay. To, okay. I think you've got to play a competition game. Um, that's a very good question. I'm prepared to give him 4.5 and give him a tie break. Or, or I think it's know, a tie breaker for sure. I, it could be a tie breaker over Doherty. But it, it's, do you think, are we prepared to say that the Seagulls and the, it's an interesting question. I'm going to have to go and try and find team list from the sevens now, which is really your yeah. fault, which yeah. is a shame. So that's going to put my week out. Happy to help. But yeah, so, but uh, I think I, well, I'm prepared to say they're different clubs just because they're different, they're different colors. There's a different logo and yeah, all that no, stuff. I'm prepared, I'm prepared to back so, you in and especially yeah. the, the, the introduction of the gladiators mm. breaks the chain of causation, I think, as well, if I can use a legal term. Yeah, I think, I think, you've, got, yeah. I think you've got the Seagulls and then you've got this separate club in Teal run by the ARL. Um, I think they're two different clubs. I think so too, and I'm glad you said that. But to further complicate the picture is that he had the, this is actually a record that can be reversed because he is currently an equal record holder with Doherty with a tiebreak of Gladiator if it turns out that, mm. that he did play there. But... If 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 the North Sydney Bears were to come back as the Perth Bears, oh, he could possibly lose like would lose a point. Continuation, he could lose the record, go back to three, be able to go to Old Boys Day, but at what cost? Because he would lose the record of holding. I the think most you'd have to count it. I think if they if the, if the Perth if the Perth Bears come back and start playing two games a year at North Sydney Oval and start having flow and. Mm. You know, Josh Stewart and the like David out on the Fairley field, coaching. Yeah. but have start having their old boys' mm. day with your your flows and your you know mm. your Ben Icons and Michael Butners and whatnot. Mm. Uh, I I don't see how Goddard could maintain that that mark on his record. I think he'd have to lose that point. Yeah. So Doherty, if you're out there, it's not over. Yeah. No. Well, exactly. He's still in the hunt. <laughs> He's still in the hunt. Or he could come back. He could come back and play for the Titans and hope for the best, I suppose, would be the other option. Um, <laughs> which, you know, it's not beyond the realm at either level. Uh, now, so that, oh, have I, have I finished reading the, the team? Yes, I have. Yes. Yes. Good. 
Good. So there you have it. There's the lineups in this in this match that we we thought we'd cover. That's the last Rams team ever selected. I've also got the full list of uh, Adelaide players of all the people that they ever picked, and there are some names on there that are not on this list, um, but which did, I must say, uh, come as a bit of a surprise. We had one of them, or two of them, actually mentioned by very astute listeners on the uh, Rugby League Cemetery. Facebook page through the week. I'll give you the full list of players in order of cap. I don't know if they got Rams caps. I'd like to think so. Maybe Hallwoods, I suppose. Mm. Uh, Michael Maguire. Mm. Madge, yep. Madge, thank you very much. Wayne Simons, Solomon Kiri, Elias Payeo, or Payeo, Joe Tamani, Kurt Wrigley, Stuart Topper, Andrew Hick, Kerrod Walters, Marty McKenzie, Dave Boughton, Brett Galea, Cameron Blair, Kevin Camp. Oh, hang on. This is the first ever team. Kevin Campion, Chris Quinn, Steve Stone, Bruce Momando, and Rod Reddy. But we also have the full list of players. Rod Reddy coaching, of course. Yeah, sorry, of course, just in case that wasn't clear. So that's the first team they ever named. But then you've also got Rod Maybon, Andrew Pierce, Dean Skiffaliti, Mark Corvo, Luke Williamson, Alan Cairn, Danny Grimley, Jason Donnelly, David Kidwell. Now, some very astute person got in the comments and mentioned David Kidwell. I have mm. to say, to my discredit, I was not aware that he had had a run around for the Rams in 1997-98. That's really your problem. Um, I accept that. Maybon comes up a lot on Rorschach too. Like I've had people right. come right back Maybon, yeah, a mm. couple of times, yeah. Uh, Adam Peake, Peter Clark, Noel Goldthorpe, Tony Iroh, Darian Doherty, Matt Daylight, Craig Kamali, mm. Meti Nuava'al. Rod Jensen, Graham Apo, Craig Bowen, Dion Bird, Sam Fa'alifi, Alan Veland, and Jamie McDonald, the last ever Ram. Ram number yep. 41. And last ever, uh, you know, again, I'm wearing that jersey. Um, it, it's I didn't know it was the last ever Ram. So it, it's a uh, couple of things. There. A lot of very good players, obviously, but only one current member of the Cata Party, which is a shame. <laughs> it's <laughs> Rocket Rod. Yes, um, that's true. I and yes, thought of that. It's yeah. good. To, it's good to see Craig Kamali getting around. He was a, um, of course, had a very unique time in Newcastle history when we had the Kamalis in dominating reserve grade and the Johns as dominating mm-hmm. first grade, and have never developed a half as good as any of them ever since. So it's a shame, yes. but yes. all the same. Yes, absolutely right. We should talk a little bit about this match, which is mm-hmm. extraordinary um, because, in to, at a very high level, the Rams go twenty to four in front uh, and 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 silence or stun. The, the very large Newcastle crowd of 17,000 who turned out to see this game. Uh, we should talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I think if you're going to do that, uh, it becomes critical, at least to, to for, for me at the very least, to yes. mention that my favourite referee of all time is in charge of this game. We haven't mentioned this yet. Go for uh, it. Mogshin Jardbot. Of course. My favourite referee to sort of ever exist in any, and in, in, I'm sorry, but if your answer to that question is not Mogshin Chardbot, then turn the podcast off now. He was very, again. he was very lippy, wasn't he? He was yeah. very like, yeah. he really gave a lot of lip to the players and mm. said some things. One of them, he put somebody on report in the second half and he says, well, you can have a trip on Monday night as well. You know, <laughs> it's this kind of thing. Yeah. And when the, the we'll, we'll talk about Noel Goldthorpe's field goal attempt later on, he just says, I reckon that missed, I reckon that missed. <laughs> Yeah. And sends it upstairs. I loved him. He looks a bit unfit too. Like he doesn't yeah. look that good at Nick. Like, he's got a bit of pudge on. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. think he's a quite um, I think he's a quite successful like banking executive now. Is he saying? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, I think he's. Uh, I know he's. 
I don't know what I'd see him in the bunker, just give it a lip, wouldn't you? Well, absolutely. What a lovely idea. Uh, Why don't they have refs old boys day? That's my question. Why don't they have all the refs? They should have one game a year that is designated as refs old boys. Because one of the great things about old boys days is that you get to see players you haven't thought of for years. You know, we go to nights old boys, don't we see people get caught up? You know, I remember you. I think they should designate one. Maybe Magic Round would actually be a good time to do it. Well, all the clubs are there. Yeah, we could yeah. all. Yeah, everyone from the league could just be roasting them on the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but again, you, it's nice when when play when you have Old Boys Day for your club. It's nice to cheer again for people that mm. you cheered for many years ago. Mm. I think a referee's Old Boys Day to be nice to give one last bake once a year oh. to Monk St. Jadwat and Bill Harrigan. Hypothetically, <laughs> you know, and Tony Archer and Paul Simpkins and whoever else. Well, imagine if we had Kelvin Jeffs, Manson, Kelvin and Jeffs, Moxie, and all in the same place again at the exactly. same time, like the good old days. But David Manson, that's right. Uh, I, I think that's a one. Even referees from years ago, Mick Stone, you know. Yeah. Um, I, that's an idea that I've just had and that I'm now extremely committed to and will be and will yeah. be campaigning for. Referees Old Boys Day every year at Magic Round, a march past on Super Saturday. Yeah. In. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your support. Uh, this match opens with mad football. Like, it is just it, – mm. it's immediately the Knights. This is kind of the peak of the Knights zinging the ball around project and the fact that they've got sort of 38 – First graders in hospital doesn't change the approach. They just they start zigging it almost immediately. They have a try disallowed in the third minute after they swing the ball from the centre to the left and then back to the right. Uh, it gets a touch forward, uh, and Vossi, to his eternal credit, feels the need to advise viewers that the video referee cannot rule on forward passes, <laughs> which is a very important this is the thing that, that commentators have to say. Whenever there is the possibility mm. that that some that a forward pass might be a factor in a video referee try, they do have to say, "Hang on, just so you know, video ref can't rule." Except for the couple yeah, of years, but, of course, where they changed that rule and then had to change you, it back. Yeah, the the only thing you have to add to that is you always have to explain, be baffled about, and complain about how they can rule on a bat on or a yeah, sort of, which is what it, this is, right? It gets yeah. a tip on, and Vossi yeah. says, "Oh well, they can't rule on forward passes, but they might decide that that's a knock on." Yeah, that's which right. is what they do. Look, I think the main thing to bring up about this whole thing is just yes. that having sent it to the video ref is that we got a, a big new look at the video ref board. Yes. Um, our favourite board, we're on record going right back to maybe the second podcast and talking about yeah. how our favourite thing. I, I think if there's one thing I want people to take away from the entirety of, of the cemetery and everything we've done is how good the original, you know, 1998 NRL Rugby League board was with the try, no try, and all the yellow buttons that would light up. So you had to simultaneously light up the no try with how the game would be restarted. It's heaven. Um, down the bottom, you know, like it had every option that could be restarting the game down the bottom half. With the white lights. Crammed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, crammed with options because like various things can happen. Yeah. And then can you, you name to... them all? Give us what I'm trying. I, without, without, oh. without looking, I want you to try and name all of the white lights. I think that from memory, I'll tell you, I'll look it up, but I'm pretty sure there were six. Well, there's, a, there's I think there's, a penalty. Uh, sorry, a um. There's a penalty. There's a restart, like a twenty restart, obviously. The yeah. drop out. Um, no, there's five. Like... Sorry, there's five. Okay, so what have you gone with? You've gone. Well, with... there'll be a twenty tap and a drop out. Yep. Um, I presume there'll be a penalty. Yep. On there, Good. two to go. Uh, oh, there you go. I mean, I the play like the there'll be one for a scrum. Boom. Um, one left. Yeah. Oh, come on. 
You can do this. Uh, it'll be obvious when you tell me, but uh, I mean, I think it's no, the only. Be... Well, I was going to say play the ball, but I don't think there can be. There is play the ball. Yeah, you betcha. Beautifully uh, done. Well, That's magnificent. I nearly, sp- <laughs> I nearly spooked myself on play the ball because oh. if you were held up over the try line, it's not a play the ball. That's but what, what if I- you're held up short, Gazzy? What if true, you're held up true, short? True. So they've got to cover their options. But I, I just wanted to speak to listeners to go through my logic here. The reason I didn't immediately go with a play the ball there was, of course, I'm going to, for the maybe seventh time on one of these podcasts, bring up the rule that when you were held oh. up over the try line, you got a scrum and a whole new set, um, which would have made, you know, uh, Andrew McCulloch currently the most valuable player in the NRL because yeah. you get about 300 repeat sets a season. And certainly over the years, there's been players like Aku Yuate, Pete, Joey Leilu, like people who take dumb scoots on the try line. Yeah, drivers. Valuable because it, it was the worst, the, the second worst rule in the game. And I'm not going to go through the uh, my other one, but th- th- it is one of the worst rules that's ever existed. Being held up over the try line on play four or something, even on play five, and ending up getting a full set of six. Was your other one? Was your other worst rule in the game the one about if it touches the referee, the ball goes to the team in possession? Oh, the, sorry, <laughs> the team in whose half the play is. It actually wasn't. It was going to be in the uh, top three. My, my worst one was going to be when the referee called held and someone offloaded. Oh, I didn't hear it. Don't get me and, started about that. <laughs> I know, and then like you called the ref calls held. You've just offloaded, having not heard it, and the other team gets the ball in a scrum. Any and ref, goes, like, any rule, any rule that re- results in the referee apologising is a bad rule. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can tell you in order: uh, try, no try, twenty meter going down the one, going down the left hand side, twenty meter goals line, and then the yellow light. Of course, refs call my favourite light, um, which is code for well, I don't know. And then down the right-hand side, play the ball, penalty, scrum. Beautiful thing, the video referee board. Yeah. Very glad that we've done that. While, while we're on that, actually, if you'll yes. take a, a brief moment, um, we have uh, uh, our new logo you'll have seen. Um, if people are following this, we've got a brand new logo. We actually have the the Jersey Tragic, who you should follow on Instagram, who made that for us, a very talented uh, designer and uh, amateur wrestler up in Queensland, actually, on that note, is actually at currently putting together for us a, a new little um, promo piece of a video mm. ref board with try, no try, new episode to be lit up in the yellow section. That will blow um, people's minds. It is. And I meant to plug him at the start because he's done a low, fantastic job on the new logo for us. Jersey he has, has, he has done a great Instagram job. If you, you do, very, very nice bloke. But he is uh, in, in the midst of doing that for us. So we will have a new promo coming up. So you'll be able to see the board and it'll be lighting up new episode. Um, to let, just to let you all know. So he's been working on that for us at the moment. So just a little, uh, something to look forward to. Yes. For all of you. Which is what we need in these troubled times. Absolutely mm. right. Something to look forward to. And yes, Jersey Tragic, he has done a wonderful job with mm. the logo. And it's, yeah, we, I'm, I'm also very grateful to him. Uh, we should talk a little bit about the tries and quite how the Rams get themselves to 20 to four in front. They play what I have to say is some absolute champagne rugby league. Uh, the first try, not so much. Uh, it's in the eighth minute. They go two passes wide from about the 40-metre line, give it to Doherty record holder Darian Doherty from the Doherty Institute, who goes through from 40 metres out, draws the fullback and hits Skifalini. There wasn't really any reason for him to go through there. He just gets through a couple of the, gets between a couple of defenders. Uh, and Six score. defunct clubs between them in that play, though. Wow. <laughs> it's, unfortunately, there is, of course, crossover, but nonetheless, six between them. It's not bad, is it? You know, it's they always sit down and go, oh, you know, 12 grand finals in this squad, a lot of experience. If you're sitting there going, this squad, going, oh, mate, six defunct clubs in this crew, they know what they're doing. Mm. 
that is you're so right. And maybe I'm, I'm yeah, it's probably why they had such an understanding on the yeah. field and why they were able to pass to each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> telepathic understanding through the shared oh. trauma of seeing all these clubs disappear around them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Graham Epper converts from in front to make it 6 0. Uh, further extending his lead as the all-time record points score. By the way, the other thing we're going to get letters about is that Luke Williamson holds the record for most points for the Rams if you count the challenge, the World Club Challenge. Yeah, I'm not prepared to. Uh, yeah. but no, I think that's perfectly... No, no, I don't count the World Club Challenge. Just, no, but, I just want but, that. Because the, the, that World Club Challenge they played that year, if that had have kept going as a thing, I would be inclined to count that as a competition game. But because the World Club Challenge was essentially an expanded version of, you know, I know it's very different that year, but the World Club Challenge has a meaning in any, every other season. And I sort of put that weird tournament in with the pre and post World Club Challenge of the champions playing off and that you don't count that. It's a try. No. And I mean, so goodness me. Yeah, no. Not I, hate, I hate to think what sort of points Graham Apo could have, you know, rattled up against Oldham. In, <laughs> you know, in PSG, in yeah, the, in the World Club Challenge, uh, the twelfth minute, the Rams strike again through Adam Peak, which is just a beautiful thing to hear coming out of my mm. mouth. Uh, from just to the left of the post, ten meters out, Walters throws a big wide pass to Skiffer Liddy. He throws another one out to Goldthorpe, who's only about ten in from touch. Mm. He turns it inside to a at this point rampaging Darian Doherty, thumps into the line, throws an offload to Luke Williamson. He gets to the last defender, flings the ball wildly out the back. It's picked up again by Skifalini. He draws and passes and gives it to Adam Peake who crashes over next to the posts. I mm. tell you, Gazzy, not only are there uh, you know, all these defunct clubs involved in this game, Adam Peake is one of two people involved in this game who went on to play for the Curry Curry or went, went on to play for the Curry Curry Bulldogs. Um, the other who had already played for them at this point is uh, Knights assistant coach Steve, the eye gouger, Lanane. More on Fantastic. him later. Yeah, more on him later. But anyway, Adam Peake scores and it's 10-0. Yeah. Papo kicks the goal and it's 12-0. Yeah, good football. Uh, double touch by Schiffelitti. I'm a big, I'm a fiend for people who touch the ball twice in one play. Usually yeah. I use it as a mark of good halfbacks and it's a bit hard to use that with Schiffelitti. But it's um, nonetheless, I think if you ever touch the ball twice in a try scoring sequence, you deserve a lot of credit because you have to move around and it, it takes quite a bit of effort. You've got to move around and stay alive and do all these good things to do that. So that's good. Um, I think a couple of things at, at this point um, that are worth mentioning is uh, some commentary by Mario, who's coming <laughs> after the first or second try and uh because anyone who knows has heard from Mario before, you know, he's always full of intelligent comment. It's come out with, he urges Newcastle not to underestimate a side like Adelaide because they've got nothing to play for, um, which I don't think is what he meant because it struck me as an odd, odd reason. And also, like, it is equal first playing 17th. Um, why why new, only Newcastle? had to be worried about Adelaide and not everyone else is, is one thing. But, yeah, so I thought that was a good comment. Um and there's also, I love Mario. I just, I? Yeah. he just, if for no other reason, he just seems like a very nice man. Not to Lovely. play against. I mean, awful to play against because he's like, Lovely. Know, tough as anything. But he's, he's, he's such a nice guy, you know? Oh, I, he's, he's so good. Everybody he, that, and people that have met him, they always say he's lovely and he's really good natured and does all these favors for people and all this kind of stuff. He, he, I love him. He does. He he's, seems he's like a, treasure. a very genuine person. Yeah. Um, he, he comes up. Uh, one of the things that really gets me going around this time 
is he also has this massive like adversity, like seeing a hangover from his playing days to every penalty yeah. that's given in the game. He, he like he, he disputes every single penalty that is given throughout the game. Oh, geez, I don't know about that. Really going about him. Um, and also has this really good gambit of repeatedly calling for professional fouls on people that have milked a penalty in the play of the ball. So anyone who's playing the ball and gets pushed over, sometimes very blatantly pushed over, he goes, oh, oh that's a professional foul. Like they're milking that. And I'm not having that. Andrew Voss keeps weighing in with, oh, he's been shoved over Mario and stuff. No, no, no. Like, this, like I've never heard anyone else call for repeatedly for professional yeah, fouls and milking. You'll, you'll be hearing it from me a fair bit from now on. Oh, I can tell fantastic. You. Like, it is good. He also like, he, he, he has that wonderful thing, which block and blocker is now the torchbearer of this in NRL commentary of like downplaying the, the seriousness of, Incident of foul play. Yes, yes. No, no, no. But, no. Look, he's, he's, that's an accident. There's not much. There's no malice in that. You know, you can see what he's trying to do. It's probably a penalty, but it shouldn't be anymore. There's a lot of that through yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah. No, every penalty shouldn't have been. Um, and if there was a really blatantly bad penalty, it was like, oh, maybe just a penalty, but nothing else. It's a uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's um. There's also while we're on him because he is so like I, I love him to death. He really did uh, crack me up. It's a bit later in the game, but it's worth while we're on him. His comments. Um, he takes a point at one point of reminding viewers that Andrew Johns lost his cool with the referee four to five weeks ago, and he'll need to keep a cool head here. Um, and I just thought that was very good coming from Mario, yeah. uh, someone notoriously and notable for keeping a cool head yeah. at all times, particularly with referees and running into no issues with officialdom. It was very good to see that bit of self uh sort of <laughs> self-awareness in that comment i've watched a few mario games though i wasn't around when in the in the peak of his career but i've watched enough of his games to say that he is a serious candidate for the, the hothead immortals like yeah yeah <laughs> some of the stuff yeah anyway you're right it, i love i love when ex-players who were known loose cannons get into the commentary box and start saying no come on they, they've got to keep their heads here you know they've got to <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, no, I'm glad you've brought up all of that. It was very nice to hear him in co-commentary, I must say. Hmm. Uh, now, the Knights uh, make a bit of a recovery with a try in the 17th minute after, again, some really loose... A penalty attack. goal. Penalty goal in between first to go 14-0, I think. Uh, no, they go 14-4. They go 14-4, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So I the Knights score first no, through rudder yep. um, after this attacking set where... Andrew Johns, with all these guys who have come up from reserve grade, is still kind of mm. doing all the stuff that he wants to do and is cutting back against the grain and then turning the ball inside. And they're just always um, they're just always attacking from different angles. He's always got people, you know what I mean? He tries to catch people all the time. That set they score on is beautiful. He, he gets it and they go really long shift out to the left and he tests them there for basically probes, he looks for shortness and weakness there. When it doesn't work, he gets it back on the open side, props and throws it back, like changes the direction and goes back and hits the left side again um, mm. with an inside ball, tries them there, that doesn't work. So then he gets it and goes to banging long ball out to the right edge and gets them there. And it, it, it is what I think he was best at is he just probed you for weakness everywhere. You see games in the modern game where you go, oh, why do they go that way? Or they're only doing this one thing and everything. And the thing with Joey is he just used to try. He just used to probe for where the holes were. He, yeah, he would just try it, everything. And he'd go, big shift to that edge. Then he'd test you again. He'd go, are you being lazy? I'm going to go back to your edge. Look look like I'm going to go long and go back to the short side. That didn't work. Righto. We'll have a go over the other edge and see if you're short over there. And he would just try all the parts of the field and test you out. And, and that set's quite incredible because it's like watching 
you know, well, at least an immortal. It's, it's just like watching a god playing with a whole heap of people who were probably below the level in his team. You know, he had a lot of weakness there, and he's just he's just carrying them. It, like some of the, he's making them look so dangerous anyway, um, mm. and using what he has and finding these good players out there. And it's a, it's a really nice play. The, the ball he throws for Rudder to score That's is beautiful. a beautiful long pass that catches the winger a little bit in field and sets his winger away down the sideline. It's um it cuts out cuts out three of his own players if that's any guy to how yeah. long it is. Like he fizzes past three, yeah. yeah, bang, onto Fizzing. his chest, score rudder scores in the corner. Mm. Uh, yeah, that he just was throwing stuff at them every play. There was no we'll take a settler and we'll nah. set everyone out to the left and we'll we're gonna attack on play four, but until then we're just gonna nuff around and try and barge over. He's just at you all the time when you're when they're in the twenty. Uh, yeah, it was very, very noticeable that the he, he misses the goal from out wide. There's a wonderful moment we've discussed before, the Newcastle ground announcer from this time. Mm. Uh, he reads out an, an, an ad for bananas. Which <laughs> I just, <laughs> about how they're, you know, they're a superfood and you can, those bananas will give you the edge. Um, I, yeah, I could. I remember swinging. those. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that phase. Yeah. Um, there was a few foods that had a phase like that. Milk had a phase like that. Like, because the real thing about everything you could, all the vitamins you get a milk. Um, mm. those big bananas were in for a while. There was, there was a, they were the. I can remember times. an end a few years after this, something like, how do Ben Kennedy and Steve Simpson stay so fit and strong? And it was something like bananas or milk or something. I don't, yeah. A forerunner to Peter Siddle, were they? Like BK well, and Simpson on the banana diet. I don't know, maybe. Um, so it had me convinced. Whatever it was, I can guarantee yeah. you, I was eating it for the rest of the season because I, you yeah, know, uh, paid off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you, thank you. Uh, this after this twenty sixth minute is when the penalty goal happens. Graham Apo, wow. uh, there's a strip on a Knights player. Uh, uh, sorry, there's a strip on an Adelaide player as a Knights player comes in to swing his arm into the tackle and just punches the ball mm. out. Vossi, uh, for the second time in the game, uh, ticks something off the. NRL commentator bingo card by saying, well, I mean, there's got to be some onus on the man carrying the ball. Fantastic, fantastic thing to say. And he's bloody well right. It's a terrible penalty. I'd be absolutely yeah. fuming if that happened. It's a yeah. tackle. Uh, terrible, Judd one. There's got to be some onus on the ball carrier. Yeah. That's so true. That's a um, good chat. <laughs> and a couple of minutes later, the Rams on the attack again go right to Goldthorpe. He squares it to Pierce in front of the posts. He offloads to Galea. Galea then finds Goldthorpe, who has run maybe twenty-five meters to. He, he's on. He gets it just so people sit like he's on the right-hand side. Throws a pass back inside, changes the point of the attack, and then runs behind the play as they're passing it amongst themselves to end up appearing on the left edge to score out wide, reasonably wide. Gets the last pass from Galea. Apo kicks the goal, and at this point. In the Rams' last ever game, or what turned out to be the Rams' last ever game, the fairy tale is on. It's twenty to four. Yeah, it, it's um, lovely football. As you, I have already just mentioned, um, one of my favourite things is, of course, looking for people who double touch. So yeah. he, get, he gets a massive a bit of credit for, for double touch there. So I love halfbacks who stay alive. Um, fantastic bit of football. Uh, just before that, it, it turns out to be quite a good shout given what he goes on to do, but it was quite a baffling comment from local sports newsreader Michael Bitt on yes. the sideline just before this, who claims out that Goldthorpe will be out to prove a point to the Newcastle crowd, having, of course, been the Mariners, been at the Mariners last season. And yes. all, I, all I thought when I heard that was, what point? Well, yeah, like, that's what point, a good point. Having not, 
played against the Knights or had anything to do with the Knights, um, what, like, say he played well today, what would the point be? Um, you point hated the, the Mariners and wanted them out, and they are out now, and I now played well for Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, what, what point prove, a, prove a point is sort of more for people who've been sacked by a club or something or let yeah. go, and then they come back to haunt them is kind of, I think prove yeah. a point's very much, yeah. I wonder what, what um, point was being made. Um, whatever point, talking, yeah, it was yeah. made by this player, I have to say. Yeah. Well, well, look, it's, he's someone, he had a very good career. He doesn't get probably spoken out um, enough. Like, he, you know, obviously had his moment um, in the Super League, as we know, the Tri-Series final where if that happened um you know in an origin game yeah it would be so big like if you think about how many people talk about sean timmons um yeah. and brett finch's field goals um yep. you know and finch in particular is one because he'd be similar to goldthorpe he didn't play a lot of rep footy um yeah. and he got you know the amount of airtime that got over the years um and of course timmons who did play a bit more as well uh he never got that credit for having that moment in a rep game but he, he also was the halfback um, for the Dragons, you know, in a, in a grand final. And it's, um, it might, he was, I'd have to check this, but he was there from 92 to 96. He might have played in the earlier ones as well, but he yeah. definitely played in 96. So he, he sort of like has had quite a strong career there. Yeah. Here you go. He played, um, three grand final losses, 92, 93, and 96. So yeah. he was part of a very successful team as a halfback, played rep football and had a big moment in a rep game. So, um, I think that's sort of lost on a few people. You don't really hear him talked about as a, you know, a lot of people don't no. talk about him. And that that's a, a pretty, just for an example, I mean, a lot of people talk about Jason Taylor pretty regularly as being a really good player and he didn't make a grand final or have yeah, a moment like true. that in a, in a rep game. Um, not to denigrate Jason Taylor, but just for example, I think you, you, on an actual record of, of achievement, a Goldthorpe mm. probably did a little bit more and he would be much well less known as a name today or so spoken about? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, he did. He had a good career. Um, not many people play halfback in three grand finals. Um, and you've only got to, if he was to win one, I mean, he would, like if he had won even one of those, uh, he would probably have like quite a significant name in the game uh, for, for, for having done that. Yeah, it's, you're right. Uh, there were a couple of moments before any more points are scored in this game that are, <laughs> quite extraordinary. The first five out from their own line, the Rams uh, under the cosh a little bit. They've, they've had a bit of pressure. There's a kick goes through that they fall on just in front of the goal line. And Daylight, Matthew Daylight goes on a run, one mm. out from the ruck and just goes through for no clear reason and sears towards the halfway line where he passes the ball to Graham Apo, uh, who charges upfield, looking to add to his record Adelaide Rams points tally, mm. looks for all money like he's going to score under the posts and make it 13 for the year. And he is grasped heroically by Jason Moody. Uh, this is a stunning bit of play in a number of reasons. It's one, it's so unusual to see somebody go through one out off the ruck, five out from their own line. Like that is a run from which you get smashed most of the time. Mm. The idea that you just charge through no defence and get to halfway is extraordinary. But the fact that they don't score at the end of it is even more. I mean, it, it, if Moody doesn't make that tackle, it's 26-4. It's an incredible tackle. He just the, he comes from about 15 metres back. Yeah. Um, they make a break on his side. 
five metres out. He turns, chases, chases the guy with the ball 50 metres. They pass to the support. He chases the support player and grasses him 10 metres out to 90 metres of sprinting to get there and grass Apo and probably save the game, yeah. realistically. Um, for he his don't team. lose money from 26-4. Yeah. No, he was underratedly quick, Jason Moody. He's one of those players... Um, I can't think of a great example off the top of my head, but you know, there's guys who don't look like they're moving that fast, but they are like, there's a lazy running style. Like he's running and you look like he's, he looked like he was loping or sort of just moving, but, but mm. he's catching the guy in front of him. And he was quite, it, I mean, Vossi mentions in the call and at Chase earlier in the year, a famous one where he ran down McGuinness, who was very quick. Um, but he had a lot of moments like this. He got a lot of good long range tries for the Knights and subsequently at Parramatta, where when you, if you just saw him, you wouldn't think he was going that fast. But when you look yeah. at people chasing or he's chasing, he's getting away from them. It's um, yeah, very loping, I think would be the right word for it. So the, um, yeah, very, very, he was very, a good player. Very easy style. Yeah, good, had a very good, good career. Played in New South Wales quite a bit and had a good career yeah. at Parramatta as well. Yeah, he did. He, he absolutely saves the game. I mean, it's well and true. It's well and good to say the Knights ended up getting the 34 in this game, but 26-4, it, it's a, you can't, you know, it's a different... It's uh, fairly dicey, whole, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, whole, the whole tenor of the game is different, mm. right? Like you suddenly you're chasing an enormous score and you play differently and there's panic, a lot more mm. panic and that sort of thing. So that's the first thing. There is a mad Newcastle chant that goes up as the Knights defend their line. Like they're twenty to four against the team coming seventeenth, mm. and the crowd are still like roaring Newcastle. You know, uh, Noel Goldthorpe takes a field goal shot from fifteen out on last tackle. Jadwatt says, "I reckon that missed." The video ref looks has a long look. Goldthorpe is claiming it is certain it went over. I've got no idea because the footage is too grainy. The video ref who does not have a light on the board for this says no goal. This is incredible um, for a couple of reasons. One, why he took it, because it was about the 32nd, 33rd minute. Yes, it's not, it's not near, it is. Uh, it's not particularly close to half time. Um, he's, the other incredible thing is that I have very limited memory of many field goals going to the video referee to see purely if they went over. There was times when you couldn't have deflections and stuff where they might have looked at it, but, but to actually just see if it went over, he's 15 metres out. Yeah. Right in front, like fifteen meters out in front, and the video and, and sorry, and Judd, Judd, what's right behind him? Um, so I've absolutely no clue why he went to him because it's not like it either just went over under the crossbar either. Like go, the height's not the problem. Um, and then they have to the video ref has to judge whether it went over looking at a side on angle, which is of course very difficult. Um, now I just can't think of many other times they referred a field goal to the video ref, and it's um, beyond me how it was in dispute. From fifteen out in front, like it either yeah, it either went over or it didn't. It either yeah. went over or it didn't. It's very difficult. I, I don't understand what the confusion was, but I, I, I thought it was remarkable that he went for it and be the the kerfuffle of the video ref getting involved and it was all this stuff was it was a bizarre moment. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the four should have been better planned. Well, exactly. You need a field goal button. Hmm. Yeah, field goal, no field. Maybe a separate board just for field goal adjudications. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, every option that you could have as a restart because yeah, that, well, exactly. No field goal, play the ball. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then a moment of great drama as uh, as Johns puts up oh. a bomb which is dropped. Uh, there is a penalty awarded to the Knights. Danny Badiris does the thing that Knights players in the late 90s and, and nobody else at any other time really has done. He does the chip tap, which I mm. love. Seeing the chip tap made my heart skip a mm. beat. 
kick up tap. It should be you should, it should be mandatory. You shouldn't be allowed to do any other tap except by kicking it up to yourself. The kick up to yourself tap is a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, and Darian Doherty. Now I'm, I'm going to try and do this justice. Madeiras takes a quick tap, fifteen out, and starts heading towards the line. I, I think that to, to, to get into it, because I know you're going to have the same trouble here, I'll, I'll let you describe it, but I think it's important to clarify because it helps what you're about to explain. But the penalty, right? So Johns puts up the bomb, the fullback drops it, and it hits like then a ram in front of him picks it up. Yeah. So when Badiris goes for this quick tap, a very large portion of the ram side's not on side. They're, They're all behind. Back. They're yeah. back where Joey kicked it, charging down with the Knights players trying to get back. So that context will probably help where you're going to go with what happens. Thank you. That's, that is very helpful. So you've got to imagine a few rams on the line and some other people racing back to get on side. Badiris takes the tap, goes to the line, passes to Nat Gidley, and out of nowhere, from out of shot, from, from behind the shot, comes Darian Doherty swinging arm to the jaw of Matthew Gidley. It is the most extraordinary high, like it's an incredible high tackle just in and of itself. But the fact that he comes from behind the Knights line, he's behind all of the Knights attackers and runs through their attacking line, running towards his own defenders, like towards his teammates and clobbers Matt Gidley in the head, knocks him out cold. It's a sickening knockout. It's a really, really nasty one. Uh, and gets sent for 10 minutes. Uh, I don't know. Again, I will ask you the question that I always ask you when there is violent mm. foul play in historical matches. What would Darian Doherty get for this uh, for this incident? Now, it actually could have bored upon his ability to get a contract for the following year because he might have been rubbed out. What, uh, what What's he getting for this? 12 to 16 weeks. 12 to 16, yeah. Seriously? It's it's 12 at least. It's a swing um, under the head, right? Like it's from, just... From behind, yeah, blindsided. From behind and blindsided yeah. him. Um, yeah, and also, it was obviously a send-off. Like, it wasn't given, but it should have been a send-off. It should have been a send-off then, never mind now. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, it was a send-off anyway for the foul play, but if, <laughs> to give you this funny circumstance of it as to why it almost had to be a send-off logically, even taking a motion and how bad the high tackle was out of it, is that he's offside on a quick tap. So he's offside on the quick tap. So Badiris takes the quick tap and he tackles Matt Gidley from behind. There's only never got back onside. So that is 10 in the bin. And everyone knows yeah. like that's always been 10 in the bin. Swinging arm to the head is at least 10 in the bin if he was onside. So if he comes from an onside position, swings him in the head, he at least gets 10 minutes. Maybe so. I, I say he should have been sent off anyway, but let's just say that gets 10 minutes. So my issue with it is, is that he did two separate things that were worth 10 minutes. And surely you have to combine them and say he needs a stronger penalty because if you would have sent him to the bin for tackling Matt Gidley from yeah. behind him on a but quick there's tap, no disincentive to whack yeah, him in the job. That's the right. Jaw. He basically is, is no, suffers no greater penalty for the fact that he basically king hits him. Yeah. Um, and Matt Gidley goes down, uh, Awfully looks very sick. Is stretched off and all this stuff um, doesn't come back. Like it's, a, it's no. a, There was a lot more. There was a hell of a lot of coming back in those days from oh, bad head knocks. And yeah. he, there's not even a suggestion that he might. He's rubbed out for the game immediately. Well, that's what's quite funny is that the after halftime they ask Mike Rabbit for an update, like on the sideline. He goes, "Oh, yeah. Matt Gidley, they don't think he'll be back." And you're like, oh, "No shit." Yeah, like, yeah. He, he, he looks like he might not play ever again. Like in any yeah. circumstance, like he, he looked. I can't. Um, you, you know, people will know if they're listening. Those ones where people just look sick, like when they yeah. do wake up, it's really bad. They, they look like they're they're sick and ill, not like they've had a stumble and they're okay. Like he looked, yeah, it's awful. But it's um. 
it's absolutely comes out of nowhere. Like I was watching it um, back and just didn't remember quite this happening and was just like, oh, like it really takes you back, mm. um, takes you back how chaotic and violent it is and how much it doesn't look like any other thing I can think of. No, it doesn't. It's, it's it's bizarre. The angle in particular, the way mm. that it comes from behind it, yeah, it is. Well, you just don't um, see that. It doesn't. There's no, no happenstance where, especially with Gidley not running quick because he's just ran onto a quick tap pass, so he's not in the clear and a chase has got him from behind. He's just sort of ambling into the yeah. line and someone hits him from somewhere he was just never expecting. It is. Uh, it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary incident in the game. And, yeah, I agree with you. I think it would be a very, very long suspension indeed for Darian Doherty. Uh, and given that he was about to uh, – that the club that he played for was about to disappear, it may have made it quite difficult to get a, get a club the following year, uh, given he would have been rubbed out for half of it uh, under the current kind of rules and interpretations. Yeah. But Matt Gidley goes off and Doherty goes to the bin and with the one-man advantage, the Knights manage to score. Uh, they get a – They've had a bit of a spell of possession. They go wide from about the 20. Tony Butterfield ends up, for some reason, running really, really wide and throws the last pass to the winger, uh, Stewart, who goes unmarked. Down the, it was unmarked, runs down the touchline. And despite uh, Bird going in knees first and some suggestion from Vossi that the eight-point try might be on, um, it's only a four-pointer. And it stays a four-pointer because Andrew Johns missed the goal. And it is 20-8 to eight at half time. Yeah, I, the, the only thing to mention on that try, I just have to mention, is that not only is Butts running very very wide, he actually, when they set the structure of the play up, he chimes in at what could only be described as the fullback linking in. He's yeah. in the Darius Boyd, James Tedesco linking out the back role. And when they run, they, they go John's long ball, Badaris long ball with a guy running infield and out the back of the block, Butts gets it and tip-ons like with really nice quick hits onto the winger. And it looks totally out of place. Like, it's funny oh. that. I, I had this thought about a couple of the Rams tries as well, that some of the some of these passes from these forwards, Skiffer Liddy throws a couple of really nice passes, draw and pass really neatly in a way that a lot of much more athletic people today in the game can't actually do. The timing is right and it's not elegant in any way, but he sees the guy coming, waits, waits, holds it up, bang, off you go and puts people over. Oh, um, there's there's no doubt that old footballers were, they have what you call a classical education in the game and, and, and yeah. they're classically educated in the basics, which is things like running to space, um, catch and pass, timing your passes, passing the guys in space, holding the ball up, like even going to the line. You see a lot now when, when teams want to get forwards passing, you see real like clunkhead forwards running into the line and then throwing dumb, flat, fast balls into the other forwards and, and it not working. And these guys knew how to go in with the ball in front and just hold a guy up and then, you know, throw a pass and all that stuff. It, it was a real uh, – players um, – it's not just, oh, it was better in my day sort of thing. There's good and bad things about various points of the game. And the further you go back into those eras, there was, um, eras, there was guys, uh, most of the guys had a lot more skill in the basics of catch, pass, move, and draw, and all these sorts of things that have gone missing when there's guys now that can rely on that sheer athleticism. And that's often now the difference maker is there's probably, say, to use modern, there's probably. 10 guys that are as rawly powerful now as, say, Latrell Mitchell, but he's the one who can catch and pass and draw and do those things to go along with it. There's a lot of guys that have that raw power, but that that's what makes you elite now is being able to mm. do that as well, having both, because um, not many guys do. They just get the first grade based on power and running over people, and then 
that's either enough for some of them or it's not enough and they fall away and end up in the Super League. Yeah. But these guys a, could do a, a lot. Under, mm. There's a floor under everyone's sort of basic skill level for doing things like that, isn't there? Yeah. Like pass. yeah yep. it, was, it was quite, again, it was, it was quite noticeable. Mm. Uh, and so they, they go into half time, the Rams leading 20 to 8 in front of a very nervous home crowd. Andrew Johns, I have to say, does not look particularly happy with his side's exertions in the first half. As he yeah. stalks off the field, he skulks off. Um, known for that. Um, when you say a nervous crowd, uh, I think I, I, you know, I, as you know, I'm very endeared to marathon 90s crowds. I will say more than nervous, I will call it extremely hostile. Mm. Um, it was one of my favourite things uh, in the 90s. It doesn't happen enough anymore. They are baking the living hell out of Chad Watt on the way yeah, off. Like, yeah. like, no, they don't even wait for it. As soon as, as soon as the siren goes, even though the referee is yeah. in the middle of the field, the entire crowd is on their feet with what can only describe as not a bit of booing, but hostile, uh, angry booing and nasty. jeering and hissing. Yeah. yeah, like this is a nasty place and you need to not go back to your car without security sort of vibes. And, and as he gets close, and it really howls up. Then it stops for a bit when he's walking towards the sideline. And when he gets somewhere near the tunnel, it picks up again and they just absolutely give it to him. And I wish that that would keep, I wish that would happen again. Like uh, people are far too civilized about it now. That they used to, oh, it was fantastic. Uh, I really took me back to a better time and place. Yes, I, I agree. It was, they really, there is this real sense of injustice at every moment of the game. That that like no they're out they're all out to get us and uh they every decision is wrong if it doesn't favour us and all of that stuff all the way through howling like the, yeah. there'll be a knock back like a knock on that's ah, a knock back and you it, know oh, the whole crowd yeah. like, can you believe it and stuff just on anything that happens that could go our way and doesn't it's yeah. just it's on beautiful and and so the Rams could have finished this game could have got themselves uh, some a an eighth win of the season and and two more competition points and bumped the, the Graham Apo average up to, 50, to an even 50%. But the last second half rather gets away from uh, the Knights score five times in the second half, 53rd minute, 59th minute, 66th, 70th and 75th. Uh, I will run through the tries quickly. I think there is one in particular that we probably need to talk about, uh, but mm-hmm. I'll run through them all. Uh, the first one is to Stewart. Um, it's a bomb to the corner. There's a bit of controversy about whether Moody uh, took the Rams winger out, but Stewart catches it, scores. Joey, uh, Joey misses the goal, and it's 20 to 12. Mm, none from three at this point. None from three. Mm, 20 to 12 with none from three. <laughs> uh, there is another try at 20 to 16 to make it 20 to 16, which I think is the one that we need to mention uh, mm. because it is scored by Workhorse. And Good grief. Good grief. Glenn Grief. Oh. This is the peak. This is peak grief. This is the pinnacle of grief. I look. I, I made a note. I, I asked specifically for time to be set aside here because, yeah. despite the fact that you would think, of, despite all the scope of podcasts like this gives us, it still hasn't given me that many opportunities thus far to wax lyrical about my deep love and affection for Glenn Grief. So <laughs> my favourite players. He was a king. Ever, ever, ever. He um. We'll talk about the try, but we have to talk about his five minutes, which I've described here as Grief Nation in capital letters in my notes. It's just Grief, sanity, grief sanity. Oh, my God. So before this try off the kick, he makes this wild 
bustling line break where he just bumped. He had this bumping running style where he used to get a guy one-on-one and just bump him off and run forward. If you don't remember Glenn Grief, anyone out there, I first I feel sorry for you, but he, mm. he was so squat is the only way to describe him. He was yeah, so and he was short. all forearms. He was a really thick cast. Yeah. Yeah, he had the cast on the forearm. and he yeah. yeah, he was incredibly short and wide, and he had beautiful what you would uh, bustling and leg speed like he was just wide leg speed and he used to really knock guys over and like get them one-on-one and throw them off up top with the first bump and he, he runs straight and flat out hard bumps this guy off goes about 30 meters gets us on the set down for that kick try then about a set or two later keep in mind we're, we're losing this game at the moment a wee being newcastle to the rims yeah. and then all of a sudden he comes flying out and just charges through the line again bustles a guy over and makes about a 35 meter line break powering down the field gets yeah. held up we get down on the attack then in in one of the most incredible tries, and I will try and get this on the page during the week if I can, because this is just unbelievable. It it he he scores a try where he gets the ball about fifteen meters out, if that. Yeah. He subsequently beats five tackles all separately. So he runs at one guy, bumps um, him off, runs side, circles sideways a bit, bumps the next guy off, bumps the next one off, changes his angle and runs sideways again, and ends um, up individually throwing off five people all separately, none at the same time, and going over himself in the corner to score. I, I was just on my feet. It, it, the only try I can compare it to is the Carl Webb origin try. It was very, like, had some similarities to that famous Carl Webb bump, bump, bump origin try that I got up, except it was much better than that because it was Glenn Grief. Of um, course. But it was just incredible. And I, I just loved it. He's one of those guys that was the error for it. Like he wasn't, he was a good player, but like he didn't have any particular gifts, and he just played every week. They brought him off the interchange bench. He'd come on for like a chief or a Butterfield or something like that, and he would just run really hard in a straight line, bump a few guys off. Everyone would get up, and you know, and he'd go off twenty minutes later, and everyone mm. would be like, "How good was that, Glenn Grief? Like, look at him having a go." And oh, I just uh, I hope I hope people out there remember him. And and if you don't, God, you missed out. Um, particularly because. As, as has been mentioned earlier, I was at pretty much every night's game in this era, and, and my grandfather, who was also there at all these games, thought it was so funny every time he ever came on the field to be like, good grief, like, or whenever he ran the ball to exclaim that. <laughs> and he's um, right. He's right. <laughs> it never got less funny, no. um, except, you know, if you sit next to him for 20 games a season. But it's... um. Am I overstating Glenn no, Green's A try or B's influence on, on No, he doesn't. Society? Like this is a game that this is a game that they need to win to, this is a side that's completely busted and like mm. needs players to come back to be competitive. And the only way they're gonna get players back is if they get the week off. And to get the week off they've got to win this game that they were twenty to four down in. Mm. And he, this guy who was a bench player almost all of his career, kind of like produces this five minutes of stomping Madness, hmm. which he never did at any other time. Like he, he never made, it, never did any of these things individually, really in his career. It wasn't his game. Like he wasn't a real rambunctious kind of bump off, trample forward. But he does it three times in about five or ten minutes. Um, scores to try to make it twenty to sixteen. Yeah, it's no, you're not overstating it at all. That I, th- I got him as man of the match because if you look at the state of the game at that point, yeah. um, they're well behind in the game, and he drags them from behind to right back into the heat of it in, in a very short space. It, it was fantastic. He, he was at the Knights. He was injured in um, 97, so he didn't play in that one, but he plays in the 01 grand final. And, you know, he was there from 96 to 01. So he's, I'm just checking how many games he played. Mm. Nine, 96 for us, having played 48 for 
for West before. So um, he was quite rated when he started, but he played like nearly of those 96 games, I would think about 90 of them would be off the bench. And yep. he was just a, a, a really useful part in, in a lot of good sides coming on after a couple of good players like Chief and Butts and those guys and just always had a real crack. He's very well loved. He comes right. to the stadium sometimes now, now and again, and you still see a lot of older fans go up to shake his hand and get a photo yep. and stuff and recognize him because he was, he was, he was very, very well liked here. Mm. No, he, he, he made a, Made a real contribution here. Uh, he also has a 100% goal-kicking record in the NRL, which very few people can say. Take that, Nathan Cleary. Um, yeah. You know, Glenn Grief. Uh, I've just checked also. He has 17 tries. Can I say I wouldn't have pegged 17? No, 145, I wouldn't have guessed that. 145 games for 17 tries. So he seems high. Yeah. High. I'd love to know how many of them included beating five. Yeah. 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 Um, from there, uh, it's a bit of a procession because – there are tries in the 66th, 70th, and 75th minute. It takes the Knights a long time to throw the Rams off here. Like it's, they don't take the lead until the 66th minute uh, when Danny Badiris jumps into dummy half, uh, goes from dummy half and scores. He's just too strong from close to the line. Get used to that, people at home. Uh, well, get used to that, people hmm. at the ground watching this. Think, who's this young bloke they put up from the reserve grade? Plenty more where that came from. 22-20, thanks very much. Have you ever seen game where one team had so much field position in a half, like they are up the the attacking end of the field for almost the whole second half. The Rams never get a look at the Knights' line. They barely get a look at halfway. No, it's so odd because it, after the, because Joey, we should have added, misses the goal again yes. on the grief try. He's none from four and they're 2016 down having scored four tries to three and it feels like they're way on top, which they are and like you say, the field position just waves and waves and they're on top, but they're actually not in front and then the Badiris try, and it's only 22-20, and you're like, oh, well, they can't lose from here. They're roller team. It's all over. But you look at the scoreboard, and it's five yeah. tries to three, and they're two points in front. And it, it feels like they're on this stomp and, and dominating, and they're, they're actually not in the, yeah. on the scoreboard. It's the only place they're not. And they botched um, a lot of chances. Like, the, you can tell that they're on the strength side. And yeah. Joey is throwing passes to, you know, to, to guys who would otherwise have been in reserve grade who just can't necessarily – like just don't run the same lines or oh, they just don't hold on to the passes. Yeah. They just, you know, they don't draw and pass in the same way and all that stuff. Um, but they do run away at the end. They score in the 26th, a break from Jason Moody. The second big contribution from him mm. makes a break from his own half. There are a couple queuing up. He finds Johns who scores, does a strange jig, uh, mm. kicks the goal, 28-20. And then in the 75th minute, a beautiful moment really where Noel Goldthorpe attempts to chip and chase kicks it straight at Lee Jackson, who catches it in front of his face, runs 40 metres untouched and seals the win 34-20. Mm. Well, that's, um, yeah, mainly notable because it, it's probably a place getter for the lowest chip kick ever kicked, equal yeah. with the Michael Butner one in another episode we did, being the 97 prelim. Yes, um, it's astonishing. The, uh, Goldthorpe, who is very short, doesn't get this over Jackson's shoulder or his own shoulder, neither of them being big men. Um deep in his sort of own half, just chip kicks it at an incredibly low height, probably arguably even lower than the Butner imagine the, uh, chip imagine kick that Harrigan takes. Like the Ben Hunt one in Origin this year um, is much higher than this. Yeah, yeah, the Cleary chip that Hunt takes and scores. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Also, but also wasn't done by the Rams, you know, which is yeah, another mark right. against it. Yeah, it um, was, but no, it was nowhere near. This was, it was incredible. I, I, it, was, it was so low of a chip kick, it was hard to call it a good play by Jackson because he didn't need to put his arm, arms up or put that much pressure on for it to happen. He just sort of kicks it to him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Uh, Very odd try. 
It's not a yeah. charge down. He catches it. Cole, no, just, like, it's catches it in front it. of his face. It's, a, it, yeah. it's quite gentle as well. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, Bossy yells out, go on, lad, in an English accent, which he has to do whenever an English person scores. Mm. Uh, a woman in the crowd holds up the back-to-back attack Newcastle Knights T-shirt. Uh, Mike Rabit mentions that uh, the celebrations might harken the end of the Andrew Johns-Lee Jackson feud, which had been brewing over the previous weeks. Mm. and uh, yeah, Months and years, yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, and it's full time. And, and with that, Jamie McDonald gets the last touch in the jersey you're now wearing. And it is the end of the Rams story in the NRL. And uh, we are poorer for that. I think we can all agree. I hope that we've done it justice. Is there anything you'd like to add, Gazzy? Um, no, I, I think we've sort of covered it all. Um, as a final point on the, the jersey, I suppose, uh, I thought of a little tidbit. I remember asking Ken oh. Clark last year if he had his, because I'd love to got my hands on it. And he said, no, I'd be happy to, to sort it out with me if he did, but he said what actually happened was um, the jerseys were given out to players at presentation. So they had the presentation, but everyone who wasn't playing for them, because they only had four players from this team signed for next year, when the season ended, they all went back to, none of them were from Adelaide for obvious reasons, being rugby league players. So he said, no, I was back in Sydney and three quarters of the squad were away. So they hold the present, they gave them all their normal jersey earlier in the year. And at the presentation, they were handing out the golden fleeces. So they were going to hand them out to the players, but, anyone who'd got a contract somewhere else or was retiring somewhere had already left. So the the presentation is a whole heap of club officials in blazers and about four players uh, who actually got their fleece and the rest of them ended up with random people at the club and some of them ended up in England and all sorts of places ended up all over the globe. So it's um, an interesting tip. I suppose your club presentation when you've only signed four players for the next season would be a fairly dour event if they've all left already. Would have thought, especially yeah. given, especially when you were getting pretty strong signals from the NRL that they were going to cut you loose. Well, yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? Like, it's not like signing for St George when you play for West and going to the club Prezzo. Like, if you've left, it's a fair height to move back to Sydney and Queensland and wherever, and then fly back to Adelaide for the function to celebrate coming seventeenth. Yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is true. Well, There's a little tidbit for you. That's beautiful. That's like that, that's a behind the scenes look at rugby league in the late nineties, if ever there was one. Mm. Uh, Thank you so much, Gazzy. Thank you so much, listeners, for, for joining us on this journey through the history of the Adelaide Rams, the beloved Adelaide Rams who are forever in our hearts. I think you can agree, Gazzy. Uh, uh, until next time on the Rugby League Cemetery, it's bye for now. <laughs>